was listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? Hello out there, welcome to episode number 26 of Love That Album, Morris Bushtinsky is my name. This is the podcast where I just generally go on about an album that I've elected or that my uh, guest presenter will have chosen to talk about in some detail and I'm very, very excited uh, today to uh, be welcoming to the computer mic Mr. Brian Nankervis. Brian, good evening. Good evening, Morris, on this uh, chilly Melbourne evening. How are you going? I'm in good health. All the better because we're here to talk music, which is something that we both like to do. Now, if you're listening to this in Australia, uh, Brian will be no stranger to you. Uh, But if you're listening to this from overseas, let me just give you a little bit of a uh, backfill. Um, Brian hosts a TV program here in Australia that's been running. You're now on season 10? Season 10, eight years, and I should say co-host. Co-host, excuse me, sorry, co-host. We we will talk about your co-host, your lovely co-host in a minute. Um, uh, Hosts a show here called Rockwiz, which is, well, as it implies by the name, it's a rock and roll uh, quiz show. And I I guess if you're in England, um, I I guess never mind the bollocks, that's more like spicks and specks. The buzzcocks. Never mind Um, the buzzcocks, excuse me. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. Well, that might be uh, what you think. More of a spicks and specks thing. Yeah, never mind the buzzcocks is more like a a show we had here for, I think, went for seven years called Spicks and Specks. Rockwiz is more, it is a quiz show. But we've got a live band. We film it in a pub, the Espy, the Esplanade Hotel in the Gershwin Room. And we have two guests. We also have contestants that are drawn from the audience. I think you've been up there. Yes, I, I, I must confess vested interest here. I was Who in, did you sit next to? I sat next to Renee Geyer. Oh. In fact, I was actually just showing my son Max that episode earlier right. on this evening. So never a rather never, sweaty Renee game. A very I sweaty Renee game. Yes, and hang, did she go and poke Roman Tucker's eye at, or Roman yes. poked her eye at? I think. Yeah, that's right. Yes. She was on with Roman Tucker from Rocket Science. Rocket Science. I'll tell you a little story about that. Actually, oh. um, that night that was actually quite a historical night um, because. The Rockwiz is filmed with two episodes, uh, which eventually you know, go to uh, air on, on uh, one of the national television networks here. And um, the I was on the second episode that was being recorded that night. The first episode featured one Paul Hester in what was oh, his final yeah. public performance, I think. Yep, that's so, right. Hesse was on with a young gal from the Waifs. That's right, it was too. One yeah. of the sisters, Donna, perhaps, Donna yes. Simpson. Yep. Yeah, he was a dear friend of ours, Paul Hester. He's a dear friend to uh, 
a whole lot of the Rockwiz crew. Mm. And, yeah, a couple of weeks later, he was uh, no longer with us. Mm. And it's funny, you know, not funny, it's odd, watching back that episode. I mean, I knew Paul pretty well. We had kids around the same time and spent a lot of time walking around Elwood with our young girls. His young girl turned 18 the other day. Oh, my goodness. There wow. you go. But... um. You watch it back and you can tell there's something not right. I mean, Hesse was a man of uh, many moods and he held it together, but I think he found the whole thing. I think he found, for those people who don't know, that each artist, there's two artists, but they come out and they do a song at the front. Now, Paul's done the odd song with Crowded House, but you would never really call him a lead vocalist, uh, Lucky Luscombe, our drummer, came up with a brilliant idea that Paul should do Wipeout. That's right, yeah, yeah. Which was incredible. And then at the end of the show, after a, a whole series of segments where people answer questions, the two artists do a duet and Paul and Donna did Walk and Don't Look Back, the Peter Tosh Mick Jagger song, which was oh, it was a little bit. There was a couple of clunky moments, and I don't know. You could just tell he was he wasn't in great form. But um, yeah, that was a hell of a night. It was. Um, I I remember there. Are, I think I was sitting in you know close to the front watching yep. that episode being recorded, and I was just generally being a stupid rock nerd, <laughs> and the band played um oh, there's a segment on the show um where the uh contestants have to guess the riff that um the million band is playing riff. million dollar riff and of course the question is why the band isn't playing million dollar riff but good question well we'll get to that in a second um so that and they were playing uh a Jimi hendrix tune I, as i recall it sounded to me like it was, I can't remember, Crosstown Magic or... Crosstown Traffic. Cross, Crosstown Traffic. And, and I think he said it was Spanish Castle Magic. And there I am in the audience just go, oh, no, no, no. And, <laughs> and Paul said, well, the rock nerd with the beard in the front row reckons that I'm wrong, so I must be. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> so I thought, oh, I've been abused by Paul Hester. My life is, is That's good. That's fantastic. So, so yes. Um, and I guess my other rock whiz moment, um, Julia had come around. So I, we should mention at this time as well for you um, overseas uh, listeners to the show that uh, Brian's uh, co-host, well, I guess the, the, host. The, the host. The, the host. host. Yep. The host with the most. Uh, Julia Zamiro. Yep. Um, uh, who has also got a background in uh, uh, improvisation and yep. comedy, and that's why it just works so well as her love of music. Yep. So she, there, there's this segment uh, at the early part of the show while she's welcoming the um, uh, the contestants on stage, asks them what their first album that they ever bought was or what was the first concert that they went to. So by way of preparation, before the recording went ahead, she asked she she came around to our side and said right i'm going to ask you yeah what was the first concert you ever went to and i said oh phew, okay that's that's good because my first album is too embarrassing oh yeah really what was it 
a hundred years of Strauss waltzes. Oh, okay. So, of course, on air, she yes. says, before I ask you what your first concert was, what was your first album? Oh, you're going to make me do this in public, aren't yep. you? And I had to fess up. And really, then and there, because I, I, I'm going to confess this here to the audience of you know, two or however many listen to the show, that I, like every other male in Australia, and possibly every other female in Australia, has a crush on Julie's Mirror. And um, I really desperately wanted to get up and dance the Blue Danube with her when the band started playing. But I thought, no, I'd better not, because she'd probably send me back to my seat and I'll feel like a dickhead. So, <laughs> but there you go. That's that's my rock was yeah. recollection. Yeah. Um, so something I want to ask you yeah. is years before rock was came about, yep. I'd been to see you at the Universal Theatre. Oh, actually, actually sorry, I should also mention that for years, Brian had hosted a couple of shows on uh, Melbourne radio station 3RRR, the big yep. Wednesday and the big Saturday. Yep. But where I first really sort of went to see you was yeah. at the Universal Theatre. With Linda Gibson. I, no, 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 it wasn't. Oh. It, I, I, I did see that too, yeah. but I think this is a solo show. Yeah. And you opened up the show with a rock quiz. Absolutely. Was, was that the germ for what eventually became rock quiz? Sort of. I'd been doing rock quizzes. I, I also um, perform a bit of stand-up comedy. I take on this character, this crazy, hysterical street poet, Raymond J. Bartholomew. So I am sort of have one foot in the comedy world. And as part of my um, comedy stand-up routines, I used to often do a little music quiz. In fact, I started doing warm-ups, studio warm-ups for TV shows, about 94 um, for the Jim Owen show. Okay. Jim Owen, the beautiful Irish comedian. Classic story. One night, the producer rushes into the green room, says the warm-up guy's sick, looks at me. Now, you haven't got much on Brian tonight. And I, we used to just do little bits, really. Jim Owen was the star. And I said, oh, yeah, I'll have a go. Um, and so I did it, and I did some poetry, and I did a bit of mucking around. They wanted me to do it again. I thought, what if I put about 15 introductions to songs on cassette in those days yeah. and get the audience to try and, we'll have a quiz, and we'll do boys versus girls, or we'll do left versus right. And it always went well. Wow. And one of the producers on that show was Peter Bainhog, uh, and he and Kenny Connor ultimately in about 2002 said, I reckon the time's right for a music quiz show on TV. Um, Brian, would you be interested? And that's how it started. I sort of um, came up with this structure. So, yeah, I used to do a little quiz. It's mm. all, I'm, I used to be a primary school teacher and we would have a quiz every Friday which then extended and we'd start having one on Wednesdays and Fridays and by the end of my teaching career it was a quiz every morning. I expect you were the most popular teacher in the school. Well, I don't know about that, but I, the kids liked it and it was fun. Yeah, That's fantastic. All right, well, look, at this stage, I, I think ten and a half minutes into the show, we should probably be talking about what album it is that we're going to be covering this time around. And it's one that's a very big favourite of yours for many years, The Bird's Sweetheart of the Radio. Yep, yep. It should be known that uh, Morris and I tossed around a whole lot of ideas. There was talk of a Graham Parsons album, mm. either GP or perhaps Grievous Angel. 
I think we toyed with a Burrito Brothers, mm. maybe, Hot Burrito. Um, but I said, look, you know what, if we, if we can mould, if we can combine the birds, and I've always been a huge fan, with a bit of Graham Parsons... There's a there's a Dylan connection. Mm. There's, a, there's two Bob Dylan covers on there. There's a Woody Guthrie connection. It's a really, really incredible album, and it's a sort of a a turning point album for the Birds. And I was delighted uh, that you agreed, mm. and so um, here we are, Indeed. sweetheart of the radio that I bought on vinyl. When I was in London, I went to Europe for the classic uh, young lad backpacks around Europe. I'd done two years of teacher's college, so I was a pretty green 20-year-old. And in August 1976, I jumped on a plane, flew to London, got the tube from Heathrow into London, bought a timeout, saw that the Rolling Stones were playing at Nebworth. Went and saw the Stones at Nebworth with uh, Leonard Skinner, 10cc, Hot Tuna, mm. and Todd Rundgren. Saw some great bands, but on the day that I left London, six months later, I bought a, a Tufa. Remember they used to yes. call them Tufa? I've got a couple of those. Where they would put two albums, vinyl we're talking, of the same artist together and so you got the notorious bird brothers which i think was about 67 certainly it was the album before sweetheart mm. and sweetheart of the rodeo and it buckled on the plane but i could still play it oh wow did you take it to one of those places where you get it ironed out like with your shirts or something I've never ever uh, <laughs> even tried to do that right okay well we'll um we'll be coming back in a couple of minutes we'll just have a quick break and uh, we'll discuss all things Birdsian and uh, Sweetheart of the Radio in particular. Actually, I should also make mention of one more thing. So later on in the program, uh, regular contributor Eric Reanimator has uh, come up with a really wonderful album and very appropriate for uh, this show. He's going to be discussing Whale and Jennings' album Honky Tonk Heroes. So um, quite appropriate, given that we're going uh, country on uh, this episode of Love That Album. So we'll just take a quick break and Brian and myself will be back to uh, talk about The Bird's Sweetheart of the Radio. You're listening to Love That Album. In South Carolina There are many tall pines It is The Bird's. That's not The Bird's. Okay, listen to this one. I don't get how many letters they said. The morning came, the morning went. Pack up your money, pick up your tent. You ain't going nowhere. See, it is the birds. They're doing Dylan. It can't be the birds. Play another tune. children, story I will tell. It's the birds, all right. Nah, that ain't the birds. For their latest Columbia album, Sweetheart of the Rodeo, the birds take 11 trips to the country. Why not fly with them? We're back from break. Thanks very much for listening to this episode. This is number 26 of Love That Album. Morris here, Brian over there. And we're talking about the birds' Sweetheart of the Radio, not the Ice Cream Hands album, Sweetheart of the Radio, 
although I'm very sure that that's an album I'll probably tackle in another episode of Love That Album. But no, The Bird's Sweetheart of the Radio. So I want to present this to you, Brian. When I invited you to come on the show, yes, uh, you suggested that you were more comfortable with the songwriters of what we now call Americana, I guess, and, and um, uh, Graham Parsons called it Cosmic American Music. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you know, Dylan, etc. Uh, and we eventually settled on Sweet Out of the Radio. Uh, so there I go, ice cream here, sorry. Sweet Out of the Radio. Uh, so why... I mean, you, you sort of alluded to it before, but why this Birds album and not the Flying Burrito Brothers, uh, say, Gilded Palace of Sin? Yeah, good question. Uh, I think I probably know this one, uh, listeners of the podcast. It, this is not necessarily... Um, this is an exciting thing for a music nut like me and particularly I do you know I've done a bit of radio and I might do a bit of you know 774 and a bit of triple R which is incredible because you can basically play what you like and do what you like but a lot of times on the radio you are very very limited to be able just to bang on with a fellow music enthusiast is a great thrill and a wonderful opportunity, but I wanted to pick something that I felt I knew inside out. Uh, the Burrito Brothers, I really love it. There's a couple there that I'm not that familiar with. Um, yeah, I think that was... Oh, I, I really love the birds, and I, I came to the birds, I think like a lot of people, through the obvious the singles, you know, Tambourine Man... Um, so you want to be a rock and roll star. But I remember, and it must have been about 71. We probably need to check this, but we can do it later. I can remember being sick at home, day off school, and I started to feel a bit better by the second day, and I went for a walk down the shops and there was a tiny little record store in the Greythorn Village in North Ball and Doncaster Road, and they had a limited supply of albums, but there was a Birds album called Untitled. Yes. And I bought it, and I think it maybe it was something to do with the fact that I was a little sick and maybe I was running a fever, but there was something about Untitled that just spoke to me. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a double album. One side is studio. It is the birds, obviously Chris Hillman and McGuinn, but it's with a guy called Skip Batten, another guy called Gene Parsons, and the incredible, legendary guitar player, sadly uh, died very, very young, Clarence White, mm. gun guitar player. And uh, Untitled, as I say, whether it was because I was a bit sick or I, I started listening to the album in this fevered state and I didn't have that many albums, I just adored it. The studio album has got songs like Chestnut Mare, uh, Just a Season, Well Come Back Home. It's got an incredible version of the Loud George or certainly Little Feet song, uh, song Truck Stop Girl. Uh, 
and um, I was mad for it. The electric al the live album is is fully electric uh, with with um, about five songs on one side, all the hits, Tambourine Man, Positively Fourth Street, So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star. The fourth side is a you know twenty three minute version of uh, Eight Miles High, which <laughs> I've got to say I never played that much. I always found it a little bit. Um, meandery or something. You know, I reckon those long jams, mm. I reckon the Ormond Brothers could do them, but even my dear, I love the Grateful Dead, but when they start launching into Dark Star and loses me a bit. Anyway, mm. so I loved Untitled and then I just, I figured you wouldn't necessarily know Untitled that well. No. We have found some common ground with Sweetheart of the Rodeo. That's a very, very long answer to a very simple question. No, I like the long answers I, on this show. I do apologise. No, no, no. You should apologise if you give me a five-second answer. <laughs> hey, look, the other thing about this album, and, you know, you've got some notes, I've got some notes, it, it, it is often held up as one of the albums that... Um, I suppose is a is a seminal force in sort of Americana mm. or, or alt country, whatever you want to call it. But I think it's commercially the bird's least successful album. Yes. Well, I, this is where I sort of wanted to take this next. Yeah. Um, maybe not so much in the commercial aspect of it, but it has been cited as a great influence on what became. Country rock. Yeah, country now, rock. Now, for me, I, I I know that a lot of musicians say, oh, I don't want to label things, but I, I, I place no check in that because we all like to sort of say, right, well, this is jazz, yeah. this is country, because you, you sort Why of want to have half an idea of what you're getting at. Yeah. So for, but for me, this seems like it's it's a country album, pure and simple, whereas something like the Burrito Brothers, it does have more yeah. of uh, of a rock yeah. feel. This is this is uh, the, the Birds' homage, whatever to to country music. And if it if a whole lot of uh, rock acts and country rock acts later on came and paid tribute to it mm. and said, "Wow, this is great! Um, this this is a seminal influence, and we want to take some of that into what we do." Well and good. But you know, like I hear songs like you know Pretty Boy Floyd and and uh, I am a Pilgrim, um, yeah. which that, that, the Christian a, life. That, that's Appalachian. I think you're absolutely right. There is not a lot of rock. I mean, there's no you know. I suppose the Burrito Brothers they had the sort of fuzzed out guitars and even I think Clarence White does play on this record, but I think reasonably minimally. Um, the the live album that came out with Untitled, which is a sort of just a couple of years later, where they do some of these songs, it's a lot heavier. Mm. Yeah, you're right. This is it's really pretty country. There's all that beautiful um, the piano playing. I think is it Earl Ball. I'm, I'm just sort of grabbing it now. Yes, yes, it, which is surprising because given that um, Graham Parsons allegedly got the gig. In the birds, or, or got the audition because because of his jazz Mag piano. Yes, McGuinn heard he was a jazz pianist, and I then he know. then he brought home his agenda. No, I 
want to play acoustic guitar yeah. and play some country tunes. Well, of course, that's the other great the background thing. This album was originally conceived as a sort of a, a musical history of 20th century American popular music. Mm. I think that's what McGuinn wanted to do. I think the bird stocks were, were, were sort of lowering a little bit. Crosby had left the band. Mm. Um, I don't think Notorious Bird Brothers as an album did that well. You might want to check it out because it's it's a it's a great album. Are you familiar with I Notorious? Am. Yes, so you yes. know the cover where they've got McGuinn. They're in like a a, a stable. It looks like a, or a a cabin, mountain cabin, or yeah, something like that. And yeah. McGuinn is in one compartment. Hillman is in the next, and I think is it Michael Clark, the drummer, and then where Crosby would have been, there's a horse. Oh, okay, yeah, I... which is often uh, thought of as uh, McGuinn's. Um, McGuinn's comment. I don't think Crosby would have been an easy man to be in a band with. No. You know. So, yeah. So, I think McGuinn had this idea, right, I'm going to do something really different. I'm going to, this album is going to combine, there's going to be jazz, there's going to be almost vaudeville, there's going to be rock, there's going to be bluegrass, there's going to be country, and then it will towards the end of the album there'll be lots of moogs and you know because mm. McGuinn loved his sort of synthesizers and and then Graham came in and I think just talked them all around mm. I think particularly with Hillman I think because um, Hillman was a big country music fan he, he'd done yeah country session work before the birds yeah yeah it? and also I think he had there was always a, a Hillman song on a Birds album that had more of a country uh, lilt to it. So I think Graham, I think Graham was, you know, an incredibly charismatic, um, you know, he was a silver tongue. He was a silver tail, of course. <laughs> he had this, um, he had this money, a trust fund, yes. so he never needed to work. He was a southern boy, and I think they all fell under his spell mm. a little bit. Right. Right. And I think suddenly, rather than making this cosmic album of all these different styles, they were making a, a, um, a country album. Mm -hmm. um, I'll just do a little bit of a sidetrack. Well, it's still sort of related to all this, but yeah. um, this has been quite... Uh, what's the word I'm looking at? Um, the word I'm looking for. can't quite remember. But, it, but the, the timing of this has been quite interesting of us doing this. Uh, yes, coincidentally, there's a stage show. Indeed, I haven't been to see it, but have Neither you been? have I, and I really wanted to, featuring young Geordie Lane. Uh, it's just called Graham Parsons. Uh, not Fallen Angel. Fallen Angel, something like that. But um, yeah, it's a stage show written by a Canadian musician mm -hmm. who I also think is maybe a playwright. It's been performed he, in America. It was based on an interview that he'd done years ago with... The Graham. last interview yep. with Graham Parsons. Yes, yes. And I, I, I was reading something today where he'd said that there's one scene in the play. I mean, it's a whole, I, I guess it's a whole bunch of monologues. And um, a lot of it was recounting, you know, based on the interview that he'd done, but almost verbatim the section where he talks about Emmy Lou Harris he left in. Ah. Uh, almost verbatim as right. rather than just sort of making his own. Yeah. 
inferences based on what happened in the interview, but I guess his uh, love uh, or, or uh, not necessarily romantic, but, but although there might have been something of that there, but his uh, admiration his for Emmylou Harris and what she did mm. spoke for itself. And so I, I think what I read was that 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 part of the interview is part of the play wow. for Batum. Um, yeah, no, I'm told it's really great. Geordie Lane is a, a fabulous singer and a, a great artist in his own right and, of course, comes from a theatrical uh, background. His mother is Denise Scott, who's a wonderful uh, Melbourne-Australian comedian and an actor, and his dad is an actor, Johnny Lane, so um, he'd be no stranger to the theatre. Mm. But apparently it's uh, it's incredible. And mixing his two loves. Yeah. Um, so to come back to the real the real thing, now this album, um, there was a whole lot of, shall we call it, um, what's the opposite of serendipity? I don't know. There's a whole lot of bad stuff going yeah. on in the background. So before Graham joined the Birds, he was part of the International Submarine yep. Band. And he was legally tied to Lee Hazelwood's yep. record company. Yep. So when he went off to record with the Birds, there was some talk of him being in breach of contract and the yep. songs, like he had originally like half a dozen songs that well, so that he was going to sing on the album. And it's only once uh, well, Sony... Well, did sing. Well, yes, but only once Sony released the legacy edition of Sweat Out of the Radio that we got to hear yeah. all the songs as in uh, Graham's own version. But on the album that was originally released, uh, a few of those songs were done yeah. by Roger McGuinn. Um, so there was you know, that those legal hassles. Well, uh, it was also suggested that perhaps McGuinn, by this stage, realised what a force Graham was, and I think possibly thought, hang on, this bloke's, <laughs> this bloke's turned up, suddenly all the girls are looking at him. You know, as I said, he's a very charismatic man, and I think Roger... McGuinn just started to feel a little undermined. Mm. So there is uh, there's talk that, that suggests that McGuinn had to re-record the songs because of legal reasons. Lee Hazelwood was threatening to sue. But there's also talk that suggests that perhaps he was quite happy mm. to do that. Yes. Uh, look... You know, that, sort of, that side of things, it doesn't... I, I must say, I bought the Legacy Edition and whether McGuinn was doing a very good Graham Parsons imitation, I don't see... It's not, to me, they're, they're not that dissimilar. Well, when we get to talking about the album in specific, there's one song I want to really have a go oh, at that okay. McGuinn does that Parsons had originally done. Um, we'll get to that. We'll get to that soon because yeah. there's there's a thing where I think McGuinn is taking the piss. Oh, really? Well, but we'll, we'll get to that when we talk about the album specific. Okay. Um, so, look, there, there seems to have been this great mythology about the album and what an influence. We've already gone and discussed that, you know, a lot of artists from, you know, Wilco... And obviously, Amy Lou Harris and anyone else who appeared on the Graham Parsons tribute album. Mm. Um, uh, 
have cited him yeah. as you know, someone who really pointed them in the direction which way to go. But I'm wondering whether the uh, the album's greatness or the album's perceived greatness is purely from the songs that are contained herein or the circumstances. Because we also know, like, one of the other things, you know, Graham left because the birds went to tour South Africa and Jagger and Richard said, no, you shouldn't do that. They got apartheid there. So there are all these things that were conspiring and the album's built up this whole big mm. sense of drama. So we have a great story going here before you even listen to any of the music. Yeah. So... That's right. He'd, he'd left the band before... By the time the LP was released, Graham had actually left the band. Mm. As you said, they toured Europe. The Stones came to see them. He gravitated towards Keith. I think they shared a lot of interests. And a lot of drugs. And that's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, sorry. Interest oh. is a metaphor for drugs. Well, that's why. Me. I, was, uh, I was certainly not going to be as obvious as that, Morris. Sorry, I'm... I'm um, I've yet to learn about this podcast. Because there is also the theory that Graham... Because I think a few people were a little taken aback that Graham was suddenly getting on his high horse about politics. I mean, there's definitely a theory... I mean, that's the great thing about Graham. There are so many theories. There's so much sort of scuttlebutt. You know, you die young and you leave a beautiful corpse. You know, you... Um, you're going to have a lot of stories. But I, I have read where people said, you know, since when was Graham Parsons, um, you know, all up in arms about apartheid? And, you know, it has been suggested that he didn't really want to tour South Africa. He realised that McGuinn was a, a hard taskmaster. I think Roger's pretty straight. Mm. That's the feeling I get, that, that McGuinn and Parsons, you know, weren't really from the same tribe. Graham felt a lot more comfortable with Mick and Keith. If going to South Africa, okay, they they said he shouldn't be doing it because of apartheid, but if he didn't go, he got to hang out with them. And I think he was seduced mm -hmm. by Keith yes. and Mick. He was in love with the Stones. I think I think a lot of us have been, yeah. but Graham got to hang with them, and they loved him, Keith in particular. So yeah, look, it is. It's a fascinating, fascinating album. Mm. All right, um, you know, originally I thought we were just going to go straight into um, talking about the album, but we might take one more quick break. But actually, before I do a detour, uh, before we uh, one more detour, yes. Um, I, this is not something I normally do on the show, but oh. I just felt. Um, like I wanted to do this today, possibly because of the nature of this record. So I had a look at the uh, University of Google and <laughs> yeah. went and had a look up to see what other albums were released in the month. It was August 1968 that yep. it came out. So what other albums were out in August and in July? And here are some of the recordings that came out. So let's work out whether this album was of its time, or if it was out of step. And I think there are cases to say it was it was both. Um, so in July 68, we had uh, the first Credence Clearwater Revival album. Right. Uh, the Doors Waiting for the Sun. Cream's Wheels of Fire. But there was also the band's music from the Big Pink. Mm. 
August, the month that it came out, there was uh, Big Brother, uh, Big Brother's album uh, and the holding band, um, uh, Cheap Thrills. Yep. James Chocolate. And um, James Brown's Live at the Apollo 2. Okay. So we, we're seeing, you know, the, the feeling, I mean, in 1968, there was a lot of anti-war sentiment. There was, the, the, the 68 was not 64, 65. Mm. Oh no! And, and, and things the, were and things and things. So everyone changed the the birds included. But oh, I, I once read a fascinating article about the band that said, you know, while all the other uh, big groups of the day were you know, dropping out the summer of love, mm. and here they come uh, on the front of an album cover with a yeah, photo in sepia, yeah, a brand album frame. Sepia photograph looking like in a photograph taken at the turn of the century, yeah. coming up with this wonderful music, yeah. but completely doing their own thing. Yeah. And the same case can be made for what the birds did. They did something. I mean, I know you say that maybe they they weren't as popular as they'd been two, three years before, but this was a big leap of faith, mm. really, on McGuinn to sort of be seduced by what yeah. Graham Parsons had. To, I mean, Graham thought, I'm going to instigate myself to do this group yeah. and do this music that I love. But for Roger McGuinn to take, well, what he actually terms, I think it mentions in the notes there, uh, uh, you know, the birds still had a good brand name and face it with only him and Hillman left. Yeah. It wasn't the birds as no. we've seen over the last few years, but it was still a big leap of faith, a a big mm. challenge to do something as different, you know, different for the birds, you know, to take the fans away from what yeah. they knew yeah. and to go against the tide of what else yeah. is going on out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at those albums, the, there's, there's parallels with, certainly with Credence mm. to a degree, although they were, their first album would have been a lot more jammy and long guitar solos i mean you wouldn't really talk about the guitar solos on sweetheart of the rodeo i reckon there's a the the, the uh parallel with the band so that's big pink uh yeah yeah music yeah from music pink, from yes. big pink yep. where they i think this is the first track i shall be released which is obviously a dylan song that came out of the basement tapes mm -hmm. There's two basement tape songs on Sweetheart of the Rodeo. Yes. Nothing was delivered, which is the last track. It is, yes. And you ain't going nowhere, the first track. So okay, so question for you. Yeah. Pop quiz. Who did Dylan better? The birds or the band? Oh, that's very good. There's something incredible about I Shall Be Released, that incredible um I think it's Richard Manuel falsetto mm, mm. vocal oh, who does dylan i mean manfred man mighty quinn <laughs> that good answer you know where where do you stop yeah. where does it start um everyone's had a crack that's that's true well i mean i wasn't offering you no, Jane, no, Joan no, no, and peter paul and mary no <laughs> what are you nuts uh, <laughs> but that is a really interesting question because i reckon I've always thought You Ain't Going Nowhere, leading track off the album we're discussing, Sweetheart of the Rodeo, is one of my favourite Dylan cover versions. I, I just think there's a lightness of touch, the piano is beautiful, there's something about the sound 
of this album. You know, half of it was recorded in Nashville, half of it was recorded in LA. I think Graham Parsons was excited to go to Nashville because of Blonde on Blonde, um, and possibly McGuinn agreed. Uh, but then it doesn't doesn't McGuinn get a lyric slightly wrong? Let's have a break and we're going to come right back to that. There's a whole heap that I want to discuss about that song. Yes. We're going to go to a break. We've been talking about things Birdsian for the last 25 minutes and we're going to get specific and talk about Sweetheart of the Radio, in case you hadn't guessed by now. Um, after this uh, break, we'll be back soon. Morris and Brian on Love That Album. When you're watching movies, are you sick of remakes, reboots, reimaginings, reinventions, and Reese Witherspoon? Are you fed up with movies where giant robots try to remake Enter the Dragon? Do you think that torture porn is vastly inferior to 1970s drive-in porn? Do you find Botox actresses with fake tits and action heroes with no chest hair a turn-off? Do movies where no single shot lasts more than two and a half seconds piss you off. Yeah, me too. That's why I do Paleo Cinema Podcast, a podcast for films more than 20 years old. So if you think the Cinturis is a guy and that Myrna Loy is a kind of metal, you need Paleo Cinema Podcast. Go to paleo-cinema.com and do yourself a favour. And we're back from break once more. Morris here, Brian over there. And we're talking about Sweet Out of the Radio, episode 26 of Love That Album. Uh, so we just spent a whole lot of time talking about Graham Parsons and the birds' history in general. So um, time to talk about the album. Oh, gosh, my notes are at the wrong, um, the wrong album. Oh, here we go, <laughs> the album itself. So we've already gone and mentioned that there are a couple of Dylan covers yep. on the album. Actually, I don't even know whether you'd call them Dylan covers because, well, they they were they released their versions of these songs before Dylan did. Absolutely. He well, his version of "You Ain't Going Nowhere" I first heard on the Bob Dylan Greatest Hits Volume Two, which was a double album. It had a couple of the songs from. Um, self-portrait it had a, a great wacky live version of um mighty queen perhaps mm. and like a rolling stone from the isle of Wight. but um that's when i first heard dylan's version so yeah i reckon i probably heard the birds version first oh, i'm confused now <laughs> but um it's a great great version having said that i don't know if you've heard you know, you, you, you get the basement tapes and it's a double album and it's all the stuff that they recorded, Dylan and the band recorded uh, in Woodstock in um, whatever it was, 67, 68, after Dylan had his motorbike accident. Incredible double album. But these days, well, and for many years now, of course, you can get the genuine basement tapes because I mean this uh, Morris has very kindly handed me the basement tapes gee you paid 14 bucks for that 
from uh, Dixon's. <laughs> so it's yeah, okay, you've got about, say, 20 songs. There's a handful of uh, band songs, Yazoo Street Scandal, things like that, Yeah, Heavy, I know that was Bob. But then there's a whole lot of other songs. In fact, the title song of the film, I'm Not There, I first heard as part of this extra basement tapes. There's um, Sign on the Cross. Mm. There's some incredible songs. And the version that you can find of You Ain't Going Nowhere is incredible. It's Dylan and the band. And I reckon you can tell that there's, the, you know, a few little jazz cigarettes have been rolled up because there's a lot of giggling mm. and it's just Bob. The, the, they've got the rhythm, they've got the tune, but he hasn't got the lyrics, and it's nonsense. And it's fascinating to listen to. Let's have a listen to a little bit of a clip from You Ain't Going Nowhere. Flat so swift, rain won't lift, gate won't close, railings close. Get your mind off winter time You ain't going nowhere One thing that was never going to change about the birds, we've already spoken a little bit about how uh, they were taking this brave new direction for them. But one thing that was never going to change was McGuinn's love of Dylan. Um, there may be none of the traditional sort of birds jangle, but, you know, country, no matter what they did, there was always still going to be that association with Dylan. And, of course, Dylan himself, like I think about six months later, re released uh, Nashville Skyline, yep. um, which, I don't know, maybe that was, you know, could be considered like the first or an early country rock album. Um, but in your mind, does this song belong to Dylan or does it belong to the birds? I mean, I know you've gone and said that there are two, you know, these, all these great versions, but. Oh, look, I think it's, it's, it's Bob's song. Mm. Um, Chris Hillman does a really great version on, I think, one of the nitty gritty dirt band. Albums will the circle be unbroken? I think it's Chris Hillman. Gee, I could have that wrong, but no, I think it's Dylan's song. But I reckon the birds turn it into something that is distinctly their own. It doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have that classic birds jangle. I think probably McGuinn put the Rickenbacker, mm. uh, put the twelve string away. But, but the harmonies are the harmonies are beautiful, pure birds. and and again the piano. I reckon, you know, if you love country piano, by Sweetheart of the Rodeo, it's um 
it's all through it. And I think it's Earl Ball. I should try and check that mm. out. But now, um, you alluded to before you tell the story about uh, the slip of the tongue, the lyric. Yeah, in the song. and and where is it? He, he, Dylan talks about hitch up your. Oh, have you got well, it written? Down? I, I do. I do have it written down. But Please, okay. No, you tell it. All right. So. On the original version of the basement tapes, there's a line that goes, pick up your money, pack, pack up, up your, your tent. tent. And then the birds version is, pack up your money, pick up your tent. Now, was it deliberate? Was it a slip of the tongue? But Dylan decided, I don't know whether he was going to have a go back at McGuinn by singing, pack up your money, pull up your tent, McGuinn. McGuinn. Yeah. And then later on, I believe, that McGuinn did the same thing on on a solo album or a live album. Well, maybe that's the nitty-gritty one. He said, pack up your money, pull up your tent, Dylan. Dylan, yeah. <laughs> well, I think I like I liked the, uh, the idea of that being uh, playful banter between the two of them. You know, I think McGuinn, as I say, I, I reckon he's a pretty serious fellow. In fact, we can... Uh, go back to um, Paul Hester here. Crowded House toured with McGuinn, and he was the opening act, I think, for them. Um, it was around the time that he had that great album, Back to Rio, or something, Rio. Um, and, in fact, they put out an album called Birdhouse. There was, yeah, uh, I think with, with the Crowded House thing, there was some yeah. of the Birdhouse... Yeah. Sessions or something yeah, like that. And they I did think three it was songs. the crowdies backing McGuinn. Yes. And yes. you could hear that incredible um, Neil Finn guitar, those beautiful harmonies, and Paul Hester's drumming. And, um, you know, I'll never forget Stephen Cummings telling me that Paul was an incredible drummer. Mm. And I know Peter Luscombe says the same thing Paul had swing. Mm, he did. He really. He. He. His mum was a drummer, mm. and um, yeah. But I know Paul used to say that McGuinn was. He was a really serious guy, and so they they'd watch him from the side of the stage, and they couldn't believe that they were, you know, not opening for but headlining, um, with this man who who'd sung Mister Tambourine Man and all these incredible songs. And then backstage, <laughs> it was all a bit, not awkward, but, you know, the Paul and Neil and Nick were, were quite playful, I think, in the early days mm. and would play off stage as well as on stage, whereas I remember Paul always saying that McGuinn was pretty straight-laced and couldn't quite get their hijinks, mm. if you like. But um, So I like that. I like the sort of... The lyrical slip up and the nod and the jokes. Well, I was going to ask you, what does the song mean? But you've already gone and alluded, it's nonsense. Well, the, no, the original version was nonsense. The version that we hear, yeah, it's. A, I think it's playful. I, I mean, look, it certainly seems to me that the, um, in typical Dylan fashion, you know, the the, the, the chorus might mean one thing, the verses mean That's something right. completely else. Yeah. So, if, you know, you think. In the chorus, it's something about someone waiting for his beloved yeah, to arrive, and, and the, the rest of the flute that toots and a, and a bee that stings. Yes, something like that. Oh yeah, I just love it. <laughs> I, I really. I, I was, but no one played with words like like Dylan. 
I don't know if you remember, there was a documentary came out maybe about 20 years ago um, about John Lennon, it was just called Imagine. Yeah. And there was a bit of footage. It seemed like someone always had a camera around him and he was at his house, was it Tittenhurst or yes. something? And there was some guy who snuck on to the property. Yeah. Um, so, you know, some, some, Nutter. some guy was a fan, you know, so pre Mark Chapman. Mm. But this guy, but this guy was safe. Post. No. Uh, this, uh, well, sorry. I wish I hadn't done that. No. Yeah, well, it's, uh, sorry. Wish I hadn't said that. Anyway, so yes, this guy, many years before Mark Chapman is, I guess, what I meant to say, um, had come onto the, yeah. come onto uh, the property and he just wanted to discuss with Lennon his lyrics and, this film camera is rolling and he's saying, look, you know, um, I was just having fun with words, you know, I wasn't trying to actually say anything deep yeah. or anything like that. You know, Dylan does it all the time, you know. And, and, yeah. And, oh, I mean, the whole raison d'etre of this program is half the time me talking about lyrics. So I'm just wondering if I read too much stuff. But Dylan has me stumped. And I know that's why when you originally said, let's tackle a Dylan album, yeah. I was frightened off because I think, I won't have anything to say. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah. I mean, there, there are people who've gone and written huge tomes. I've got this book called um, Dylan's Visions of Sin, and oh, the, yeah. the author's Ricks, gone and made these. Christopher Ricks. Yes. And I I gave up after about 40, 50 pages because yeah. I thought it was much, much ado about nothing. I've got to be honest. <clears throat> I'm the same with uh, Grail Marcus. Mm. You know, Grail Marcus is considered the, the well, along with Clinton Highland, the real Dylan nuts and the real Dylan scholars and the real Dylan critics. But I find I'm not that mad on either of them, to be brutally honest. Mm. I remember... Yeah. Do, you, do you like the Clinton Highland books at all? Or? Uh, I find I find him a little bit uh, knowing and a little bit like suggesting that Dylan should have done this, or he should have done that. He or, is a bit brutal at times. And I isn't just he? think, hey, the man's an artist. Yeah, yeah. It's like he knows more about him than Bob does. <laughs> Which I, I think Bob would probably get a bit of a laugh out of it. He'd, you know, yeah. he'd take the book out and say, "Hey, yeah. hey, look what this guy wrote about yeah. me." Sure, had him fooled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Said he in the worst Bob Dylan voice. I met Dylan once. Ah. Um, Please give us a story. Can I tell you that story? I don't think I've ever had anyone on this show who could say who could make claim to that. No, nineteen eighty six, eighty seven. I think it was eighty six when he toured here with Tom, Tom Petty. Petty and the Heartbreakers. I think it was called the True Confessions Tour. There's an incredible DVD shot by Gillian Armstrong or directed by Gillian Armstrong mm-hmm. from the Sydney show, and it's. Um, they were in good form. They were in great form. I had a, uh, an old girlfriend was a producer for a TV show. Dylan had done an interview with George Negus that everyone agreed was pretty ordinary. And the Dylan camp, which I can't imagine they'd ever do now, but they approached this particular broadcaster. I think it was a Terry Willisey show, not Mike. Terry, uh, Mike's brother, Terry. We would like Bob to have an interview. We've done one with George Negus. It was pretty ordinary, which is odd, really, because George is terrific. But anyway, we want to do another interview. My girl, ex-girlfriend, was in charge. The reporter 
she rang me. She said, look, this guy knows nothing about Dylan and I'm really worried. You know, she had to use him. Dylan will eat him alive. Could you go out for lunch with him, word him up, tell him, direct him in the right way, make sure he's not going to ask something ridiculous because Dylan will walk out. Please, would you do that to me? Of course, I said, of course. So I went and met this guy. We talked for an hour or so. At the end of the um, chat, excuse me, he says, um, wow, you, um, you're a real Dylan fan, aren't you? And I said, oh, yeah. I, you know. He said, well, um, I'm going to need someone to carry my bag <laughs> to the interview. Come on, let's go. And I'm thinking, okay, I am going to be in a room with Bob Dylan. So the interview was in the Irvin, the Rockman, the Rockman Regency Hotel in okay. Melbourne in Russell Street or whatever. We go in, we go up to a room. There's Michael Gadinsky. There's the reporter whose name I've conveniently forgotten. I think Bob Neureth who was, Bob Neureth was a mate of Dylan's who is in All Through Don't Look Back. Okay. Uh, great singer-songwriter, actually. And I think he became mates again with Dylan. We're all standing there like shags on a rock. And then Bob walks in, mm. sits down, tiny, frail, thin, pale, sunglasses, sort of pyjama, silk pyjamas. Sits down, the interview's pretty good, the guy asks all the right questions. I position myself between Dylan and the door, knowing that he's going to have to walk past me. <laughs> I wait, he gets up, he moves towards the door, I thrust my hand out, he takes my hand, it's not a great handshake, I'll be honest with you, but it's a handshake. All I can think of to say is... Thanks. He says, hmm, yeah. <laughs> and keeps walking. So you don't think that someone else is ghostwriting his lyrics because he didn't show that articulate side of him in his conversation? Hey, you? you know what? He didn't show it to me. And why should he? <laughs> I was just some starry-eyed, uh, well, I wasn't a youth, but, you know, <laughs> young bloke. I, I did, uh, I had written him a letter that um, I handed to Michael Gadinsky, which was a letter to Bob saying that I noticed that he had uh, a night off and I noticed that it was in Melbourne. Um, I'd be more than happy to put his name on the door at the last laugh to come and see Let the Blood Run Free, which was the stage show that I was doing yeah. at the time. And, um, yeah, who knows? <laughs> I'm sure the letter went straight into the bin. But, um, <laughs> so that's my little brush with Bob. Oh, Pretty right. exciting. Of course, the Bob Dylan oh, world... You can say you did it. That's right. The Bob Dylan world is, uh, has gone into overdrive at the moment. You know there's a new album. September 11, it's oh. being released. It's called Tempest. There is uh, reportedly a 14-minute song about the Titanic. Okay. There is a, a nine-minute song about John Lennon called Roll On John. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, so, look, I don't know whether to be excited about this or not. I mean, as um, the last 
Uh, I'm not going to count the Christmas album. The last album, Modern Times, just sent, I know a lot of people sort of say, oh, it's, it's another great album in the, in the modern trilogy. Mm -hmm. and, and I'd be I, one of those people. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm very much, meh, time out of mind, loved. Love and theft, loved. And just to me, this is like, yeah, okay, it's another 12 bar blues. Okay, it's another 12 bar yeah, blues. Yeah, and it's another 12 bar blues that he's essentially ripped off, mm. you know, rolling and tumbling and yes, credited yes, exactly. to, uh, to Dylan. Oh, I thought it was great. Opening track was Thunder on the, the Mountain. Mountain. Incredible song. Yeah. And it was actually it wasn't the last. The last one was together through life. Oh, I forgot about that which one. Was a no, good that, that was a good. That was a good album. So I forgot from, about uh, that. Lost Lobos. Yes, yes. Playing uh, Mr. Mr. Hidalgo. Well, he's on the new one too. Oh, well, you know, all of a sudden my, right. my enthusiasm is rekindled. All right, fine affair. And stick around. I have an announcement to make about Lost Lobos towards the end of the show. Mm. So um, anyway, more about that later. But we're talking about the birds. We've 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 gone off the track. But we fine. go to track two. No, we should go. No, well, actually, normally I go um, in order, but I think what we're going to do with this is I've I've assembled because this is such an unusual album. We're going to go all over the shop a little oh, bit with okay. this. Not, not do the whole album because I think we could be here all night. But what we'll do now is we'll talk about the second Dylan song on the album, which is the last track on the yep. album. Nothing was delivered. Here's a clip. was delivered and I tell this truth to you not out of spite or anger but simply cause it's true now you must provide some answers for what she said was not received and the sooner you come up with it This album closer, you know, it's, it's, it's bookending um, the album with Dylan's songs. And look, it took me a long time to get into the whole idea of country music. I mean, I guess, I guess essentially I'd be struggling to think what was the first country album I really enjoyed. I'd probably say it would have been uh, the Gillian Welsh albums. Yeah, um, really? Oh, maybe, maybe something. But then again, a lot of people, were, I think a couple of friends are going to say, well, do you like such and such? That's sort of country. Yeah. Oh, yeah, all right, okay. But yeah. some of those pure country um, was Gillian Welsh. And uh, my wife, well, she's actually an unusual case because she says she can't stand country. And I said, well, what about... Yeah. Now, what about this? What about that? You know, she loves Annie Lou. Yeah. I said, well, you know, Annie Lou's country. Yeah. But then again, for her, you know, it's wrecking ball and red dirt girl. Right. It won't be, it won't be uh, anything outside of, outside of those. So and I think country music does have a sort of, I think to someone who's not really as nutty about music as you or I, or 
or is into sort of, you know, Americana, call it what you like, old country, it's easy just to say, well, country music is, you know, big hats and mm. all that stuff. But um, I I don't know, I, I th- you know how I got into country music? Through a show that hopefully some listeners will remember, a radio show that broadcast on the ABC. I used to listen to it on 3LO every Monday night. 1971 through to about 1974, it was a show called Room to Move, mm. presented by a guy called Chris Winter, who was a very, very cool announcer who played incredible music. And he played Joni Mitchell, he played Taj Mahal, he played the Allman Brothers, he played the Grateful Dead, he played... Buck Owens, he played Bill Monroe, and so was a, that unusual for the time for oh, have someone yeah. doing like, do stuff like that? Well, absolutely, it was unusual for. I mean, in those days, three X Y or three U Z would play a pretty good range of music, but they were hits. Mm. Whereas this was for this was like an album show. You know, he'd play fourteen minutes of Whipping Post from. Allman Brothers Live at the Fillmore mm. and he'd play Sun Ra or he'd play Rai Kuda or he'd play Can or he'd play Morning Dew by the Grateful Dead. It was incredible. And uh, I used to write every song. I would I would sit and listen. I would I've still got them. I've still got the cards and the books that I used to write them in. So I'd write the title and the artist. I would give it a little rating. Yeah. And uh, I just got onto so much good music, and he played some bluegrass. I think it was Bill Munro. It might have been the Stanley Brothers, and there was just something in its simplicity, in its the rhythms or the dynamics or something that I really loved. Mm. And I remember buying a Doc Watson album, a live album with Doc Watson and Fred Price and Clint Howard, I think. Doc was the main guy. And I then I got into the um, uh, Stanley Brothers and Bill Munro. And so by the time, you know, I was in Europe and saw this Birds album, I was really, I was mad on country music. Mm. Well, I'm, and still am. So why I raised that point was in particular like one of the session musicians who was on this album was uh, a pedal steel player called Lloyd Green. Now, in the notes that it mentions uh, of the Legacy Edition, um, the I think it was the thing that maybe annoyed me a little bit was the very thing that Roger and Graham embraced. Um, like, you know, so Lloyd was having this conversation with them pre-recording saying, how do you want me to approach? Do you want me to uh, just you know play a little solo here or a thing, or do you want me to noodle all over the place? And you know, Graham and Roger apparently looked at each other and said, yeah, 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 noodle all over the place. And this is possibly why I originally asked if we could do um, Gilded Palace of Sin, right. because I think it's a sneaky peek. Yeah, it plays pedal steel there. Yeah. And I was listening to that again on the iPod today. And it seemed to me right, like his solos or his his playing 
was, I guess, more for me, more concise. And I'm sure Lloyd Green would have done concise if that's if, what yeah. he'd been requested to do. But I guess the songs on there were, you know, the, the, the solos or the little um, enhancements were very specific in specific spots. Uh, and it was mixed in to blend in with more with the instruments. Whereas in here, it sounds like, okay, I'll noodle all over the place. This is what you guys paid me for. This is what you guys want. And I'm, I'm wondering if that was out of the picture, would that, would that be a country song or would that be a rock song? I mean, yeah. it, maybe, it, maybe it's a, maybe it's an issue of being pedantic, but that's, that's still something that maybe bothers me a little bit about that song, the, the overplaying of the pedal still. Otherwise, I, it's, it's a wonderful performance yeah. and a wonderful song. But where do you stand on the whole pedal steel thing? Oh, I love pedal steel. Mm. I love pedal steel. In fact, I was lucky enough to be involved in a, production, a theatrical production, a, a show written by Mick Thomas from mm. Weddings, Parties, Anything called Over in the West. I and saw it. it. A, yeah. Oh, you saw yeah. it? Yep, yeah. yep, yep. And the band, and it was a, it was a musical. Mm. In fact, I think the dialogue was all spoken in verse. Mm. Myself, Sally Dasty from Titus and beautiful Gary, Gary, man, that's dreadful. He was a, he was in the Whittle family. Gary, Gary, Gary Adams. He was in the Clip Clop Club. Okay, yep, yep. So yep. Gary played the twin brothers. And our dialogue was all in verse and there were songs. So there was maybe 15 songs. And Michael's band, Mick Thomas's band, excuse me, at that point was Michael Barclay on drums, Pete Lawler on bass, ex Weddows, and um, Paul... Paul Thomas? Paul Thomas. Yeah. On pedal steel. And so I okay. just had this pedal steel. And I, my spot was, was sort of about three feet from Paul's pedal steel. So I, I guess this is where I have this whole contradiction, you know, because like in, in this song, the pedal steel doesn't quite work for me. But when I think back, could we, could maybe not so much in over in the West, but when I think of the Weddows connection. Yeah. And Paul Thomas's pedal steel on uh, a song like Luckiest Man yeah. just completely makes the song. It's every time I hear that song and I, I, I have this stupid smile on my face. Isn't that funny? It, it, I watched a clip of Mick, Weddings, Parties, Anything, doing Luckiest Man in the Country mm. about three hours ago. Oh, really? Yeah, my son and I were looking at Marn Group footy show. Yeah. yeah. And we went last year, and the Weddows were on, and they did Luckiest Man. And oh, it was wow. a great shot of Paul. Paul's a great, great guy, great player. So, no, I love the pedal steel. I loved it on um, Nothing Was Delivered. Mm. Yeah. Now, what, what notes have I got written here? Uh, uh, so, um, okay, so, well, basically I've gone written down here. I'm a rank amateur Dylan interpreter, but, you know, we've already gone and discussed that we're not yeah. that, we're not that enamored with the professional ones. No. So, so being an amateur is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but, okay, so, um, being a rank, I, I, I can only guess what or who this song was aimed at, but I'll have a couple of shots. So, um, the basement tapes were the first recordings that Dylan had made post motorbike accident Correct. and post the classic electric yep. trilogy um those who worshipped you know his this post folk like folky status uh you know that people were looking for clues in absolutely yeah every song yeah that that he did 
And I'm wondering whether he's gone and written Nothing Was Delivered as a sort of, you know, thumb of the nose to the fans who are looking for clues in, in, uh, in all those trilogy of albums, you know, hey, guess what? Nothing was delivered. Yeah. I didn't give you, I didn't give you anything. You're, yeah. you're looking, you're looking to find something about who I am. Well, I know he's always felt, uh, upset or annoyed that he's been labeled the, you know, the spokesman for a generation. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he found that he didn't like that at all. And the fact that they held Woodstock. In his backyard, he hated that. He didn't like the, the sort of, you know. I think he's made some disparaging comments about long-haired hippies. Well, so, I mean, you look at those photos of it. Like yeah. the, the big, he became the big family man. Yeah. You know, about about the time of uh, yeah. natural scholar. Yeah. Like, there was an article I think in Mojo a few years ago, and you saw him as this clean-cut, mm. yeah, with almost southern gentleman, yeah, yeah. little glasses. Yep, yep, and, yep. Yeah. I think it was so what, like nothing better than to just sort of hang so out with the So you know what? Yeah, nothing was delivered. Have you got a lyric there? I, I have. Uh, nothing was delivered, and I'll tell this to you, not out of spite or danger, but simply because it's true. Yeah. And it, that's as clear-cut as it gets. You know, yeah. the, the, he's written all these songs where he's playing with lyrics, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's some Dylan scholar out there who can tell me, you know, this is why, yeah. you know, why he said this in... in that song off Highway 61 revisited, and this is what Blonde on Blonde yeah. is really all about. And written, everyone must get stoned. There's nothing to do with drugs. It's in fact about the biblical process of yeah. saying Jehovah like yeah. they did in Life of Brain. Um, but, and there he's basically yeah. saying, I want to tell you in as clear cut a way as possible, just so you don't misunderstand yeah. me. I didn't give you anything, nah. and I'm not being nasty. I'm not having a go at you, but. It's, it's, it's true. Yeah, maybe. Um, so, yeah, so any any other thoughts about that song? No, I think Peter, Paul and Mary might have done a version of it too. Okay. Don't, don't think I've yeah, heard. My, I my eldest sister was a huge Peter, Paul and Mary oh, nut, yeah. so I went, I listened to quite a few of her albums, but not, yeah. not uh, I don't think I've heard that one. But yeah, they, they were another big lot of yeah. interpreters, weren't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. Mm. All right. All right. So, okay. Well, as I said, I wanted to, rather than go in chronological order or, yeah. or sequen next? sequential order, um, so the, I've chosen three groups of songs. So there was the two Dylan songs. Yeah. Now we'll cover a couple of songs that were, because ostensibly this album, with a couple of exceptions, is really, a, it's a covers album. Um, yeah. There's, there's only like there's about one, two or three. I think there's one. I am Pilgrim mm. is an original composition. McGuinn and what? Hillman. I, I mean, it says that, but I, I really would have thought, I mean, that, if, if that's an original, then I'd think that he's, um, he's really truly, uh, well, I think engulfed himself in the, in the Appalachian tradition. Yeah, homage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't sound like an original song, no. does it? Well, uh, let's go for the two that I'm pretty confident are originals. So we'll start off with, and this is the first Graham Parsons song or Graham Parsons related song I ever heard. Let's hear a clip from Hickory Wind. I remember the old 
Okay, this, as I said, one of two Parsons compositions on the album, and, and I got to tell you, Brian, I'm a sucker for a waltz. Oh yeah, as as my rock whiz confession yes. would have, yes. uh, and um, this is a finer one as they get. Um, once again, Lloyd Green's pedal steel is all over this, and not be, wanting to be unfair to him, but I guess the first time I heard this song was not actually. Um, this version. Parsons version either on his own ah. so I'm um, or this one but the in if you live in Melbourne and listen to three triple R you'd be very familiar with a great show uh, on Saturday afternoons called twang hosted by uh, a lady called Denise Highlands and when the album came out I think it was return of the grievous angel which was a tribute to Graham Parsons albums uh, to Graham Parsons music uh, to my way of thinking, certainly one of the best tribute yeah. albums I've ever heard because I know a lot of them could be pretty patchy, but this is, mm. is just about as good as they came. Uh, and she would frequently play um, Gillian Welsh's version of Hickory Wind. Mm. And it's a lot different to how this, uh, the, the original one comes up. Her version is. Um, I, I guess, how, how could I compare? They, they now call that sort of country, I think, gothic country, yeah. like the Han what the Hanson family do. Yeah. Um, it's very stark. It sounds like there's a, a national steel being played. There's a yeah. bass drum sort of just going on, on the one beat for every yeah. bar. And it's haunting. It's the sort of music which, if you were to listen to really late at night with the lights turned out, you'd find it incredibly scary. Yeah. At least I know I do. Um, is it, have you heard that version? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, it's incredible. I suppose I, I found it a little too stark in mm. a way. I just think there's something great. There's the great version on, is it GP or Grievous Angel? I think it's GP. Where they sort of put it with... Um, Cash on the Barrel Head, which is yeah. the Lubin Brothers. Oh, yes, yes. And it runs into uh, Hickory Wind, and there's a noise of, of, of bottles breaking. It's sort of, it's like they've tried to create it like a live album. And I love that version. This is the first one I knew. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. Mm. Yeah, so I think I probably like. I just hear his voice in South Carolina with mm. many tall pines. Look, I, I, I really like the old trees that we used to climb. It's just fantastic. It, he, I, I think, as any good lyricist does, he evokes a mood for. Okay, so those four lines that you've quoted, yeah, you can picture in your head. You don't need a film. No, you, you hear those lyrics and you can see what he's talking about. You see the sunlight coming through the pines. Yeah. Um, it, it, it sort of reminds me, I, I was watching um, a few weeks ago 
with with uh, my son Max, uh, a David Lynch film, a very unlike, unlynch like David yeah. Lynch film, uh, The Straight Story, probably the only David Lynch film I'm allowed to show my right. fourteen year old son. Um, but there are some beautiful aerial shots and you know, slow moving camera and uh, him going past uh, the trees right. and the side of the road yeah. and just I hear this song and it evokes that sort of mm. country feeling and that sort of sunlight and it just just with a few simple economically used mm. words and I, I know there are some people who use big words and go on and on and on and you have no idea what they're yeah, talking yeah. about and just with a few Beautifully chosen words. He's yeah. really evoked a great mood here. Have you got the lyrics? I, I, I've just gone written that first verse that you've already um, gone and quoted. Yeah, uh, in South Carolina, there are many tall pines. Yeah. I remember the oak trees we used to climb, but now when I'm lonesome, I always pretend that I'm heading the field of hickory wind. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, yeah, oh, look, and, and I guess the other thing that I like is where he's gone and used... He hasn't gone and called it, you know, Carolina wind or no. hickory trees. He's gone yeah. and taken a bit of a, a physical thing, hickory. Yeah. Oh, and well, wind is you know, a noun, but it's, but it's, yeah. he's gone and made that description. You, you smell you know, yeah. the, 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 the trees in yeah. the wind. That's, that's another beautiful, um, is evocation a word? I don't yeah. know. But uh, I, I love what he's gone and done there. Yeah. You, know, you could have even called it Carolina wind or, Hickory trees, and it still would have been a great yeah. song no matter what. But I like—I don't know what it's called where they take those two, yeah, yeah, different things and combine it into something. Really yeah, like that. beautiful. There's a great—I um, mean, we do keep getting back to Dylan, but um, there's a, do you know that song "Copper Kettle" off Self Portrait? Uh, I, I, I haven't bought Self Portrait. So he talks about hickory smoke, I think. Or hickory, hickory ash. Mm. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, I think I always uh, defend self-portrait. People hate self-portrait. In fact, what did Graham Marcus uh, famously began his review in Rolling Stone with the quote, "What is this shit?" <laughs> but um, I reckon I think it's good. I love it. Hickory uh, copper kettle is an incredible. Incredible song. Yeah, it's got such a little Sadie. It's got a really wacky, as I mentioned before, version of uh, like a Rolling Stone, where he fucks up the verse. And anyway, uh, no, I think Hickory Wind is uh, an incredible song, and the beautiful, beautiful Parsons vocal, and certainly one that wasn't. Sung by McGuinn, mm. is that right? That, that uh, no, oh, yeah, that that's one of the songs that um, that Parsons, remained. That that remained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't imagine McGuinn no doing doing that one. Oh, wait, Megan, does he sing it in his live? I no, I doubt it. I doubt it. But Emmy Lou, Emmy Lou, surely still yeah, would. Yeah, yeah. But it's a just a beautiful song, and Graham's voice had. I remember my wife when around the. About when we was just starting to go out, sort of late eighties, and I would play one of those burritos albums, or maybe the first Grand Parsons, and she said, "Man, who is this singer? That voice!" Mm. And it would have the crack in it. It would, it, you know, in um, 
is it Hot Burrito Number One or Sin City or one of those? Incredible voice and um, yeah, Hickory Wind, incredible song. I will actually quote one more um, couplet from it because ostensibly you hear those memories. You know, he sings about you know South Carolina, and yeah. of course he was a um, Florida boy. A Florida boy who yeah. went to Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, those are memories. Well, but, yeah, so, but songwriter's license. But it also written with his mate Bob Buchanan, I think. Yeah, B. Buchanan. Okay, so, so yeah. there might be Bob. But there, there is, there is um, a couplet there which I think is pure gram, at least pure autobiographical. So he sings, I started out younger, had most everything. All the riches and pleasures. What else can life bring? Mm. So you know, he, here he is. Yeah. He's saying, "Well, you know, I could have lived in my great mansion. I could have lived off yeah. the fortune, the trust fund. But you yeah. know what? I'm I'm happy being out here on the road and yeah. recording the music yeah. that I love and convincing other people to do the music that yeah. I love. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely gorgeous song. And um, if you haven't heard this song in its entirety, um, please search it out. Uh, it is absolutely wonderful. Go. Go to the birds version. You can find it on YouTube. Um, find the uh, the Grand Parsons version that he does with Emmy Lou, and search out the Gillian Welsh version. All all absolutely wonderful. Um, now the other one, um, the other sort of original one that uh, we can have a bit of a chat about is One Hundred Years from Now. Yeah, here's a clip. Did uh, a pretty, I guess, almost like a Rolling Stones-like swaggering yeah. version of this on. Well, uh, it's got it's, it's probably on Sweetheart. This is the song that if you, if you were looking for a rocker, mm. it does, and it's sort of got a it's got a pretty um, distinctive beat. I'm sure the kids could dance to it. This this is a, a, a rocking song, yeah, yeah for sure. This yeah, is one of the and couple. it's a great this idea of. What's the world going to be like mm. 100 years from now? Well, what was the line? Will the people still? Have you got the lyrics? Oh, I have a couple of lyrics here. So, th yeah, this is this is a song that lyrically confuses me a little bit, and it's fairly straightforward. But it seems like he starts off in one direction and takes it to another. So he sings, "100 years from this day, will the people still feel this way? Still say the things that they're saying right now?" So he's we figured you know, it's going to be some sort of commentary on political or societal yeah. change. Um, and, you know, it's interesting to think that here we are, like about 45 years off from the release of that song, and we can debate whether, you know, the collective as the people mm. do 
or don't have the same values as they did in the late 60s, because in you know, a whole lot of ways, yeah. maybe that sort of spirit of what came out of you know, the protests against Vietnam or, mm. or um, you know, the, the other, you know, the, the, um, uh, the killings of the students at the universities across America, that was in 68, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, it, 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 and really there was a lot of, um, a, a, a lot of, oh, I'm forgetting my words, I'm getting old. Um, anyway, there, there was a, a lot of discontent. Yes, unrest. Unrest. And we see it to some extent with events that have happened over the last 10 or 11 years, but I think as a whole, maybe society's become a bit more conservative. So you sort of wonder, you're saying 100 years from now, well, we're at, we're nearly 50 years on. We're nearly at the halfway yeah. mark, Graham. And, um, yeah, people are, I don't know whether people are still sort of, um, thinking the way that they did all that, all that time back, but you know, oh, could I feel for you? I think you would argue that there's a lot of people who are, who are, have carried that spirit on, mm. you know, maybe they're not as prominent or they don't have, um, shares in, uh, mass media. <laughs> but, uh, I think there's probably a groundswell, but yeah. Look, and the other point where I wanted to take this is, it, as I say, it starts off like it's going to be this big commentary on, on that word, society. But then he takes it to like a rather conventional boy-girl type thing. You know, everybody says I've hurt you. They said I'd desert you. If I go away, you know, I'm going to get back somehow. And I'm thinking, what happened? Was he, you know, did he write some words on? one piece of paper. <laughs> oh, I've got a great idea for another song, put it on yeah. another piece of paper, and they somehow got stuck together, stuck together. Well, look, I think if you if you were to put out a collection of uh, the, the top 20 Graham Parsons songs, that one wouldn't be there. <laughs> you know, I think it's a... I mean, I reckon it's a really strong album, but probably the rhythm's great, the beat's great, but maybe lyrically it doesn't... Uh, doesn't measure up. Well, you know what? A, a probably a good idea for another show mm. would be rather than just talking about an album in specific, I, I want to find someone who I can discuss it with. Pick top 10 songs that are iconic, that are great, that we all love, yeah. but have shit lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, not that I'm saying this has shit lyrics, no. but certainly the first part yeah. doesn't fit with yeah. the second part. It's almost like they they said I desert. It almost seems like a lazy yeah. lyric writing. But you know, I'm, I'm I think I mentioned this in a previous episode uh, where I said you know like some of those early Beatles songs, um, they, they're great overall songs. I, I guess you can ask the question: What makes a song great overall? Because you can have song, you can have lyrics that. Oh, they don't mean anything or just sort of like been have rhyming couplets picked out of yeah. the Sammy Khan yeah. rhyming dictionary yeah. just for the sake of it. But are they clever lyrically? And, you know, those are early Beatles lyrics and nothing that they've not been crafted like you know, the generation before them or dare I even say what was necessarily going on in yeah. the Brill building at the same time or just a little bit yeah. after. And a song like this, you know, as I said, it starts off rather conventionally, but okay, you make an interesting point. What will we be thinking about a hundred years from now? And then it's, oh, I don't know what else to say. Oh, well, um, they said I deserve you. They said I was no girl. good. Yeah. Boy leaves girl. Exactly. Boy forgets girl. Oh, that, that's the whole story of Greece, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
But um, but the, but for all of that, I still think it's a great song yeah. because yeah. it's. I hate to say it, it's got the beat. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Don't be afraid of the beat. Mm. All right, so uh, a couple more tunes I want to talk about. So we've already we've covered the um, the originals. We've covered Dylan's, and let's cover a couple of the covers, which is basically everything else. Yeah. And um, the uh, two that I think are really, really interesting. So the first one, let's hear a clip from The Christian Life. My buddies tell me that I should have waited They say I'm missing a whole world of fun But I still love them and I sing with pride I like the Christian life I won't lose a friend by heeding God's call For what is a friend who'd want you to fall? Others find pleasure in things I despise This was originally done by the Leuven Brothers. Now, if I'm correct... Let's see. Let's see. Did you actually have... Cause, oh, one of the things I should mention for those of you outside the country who have had haven't had the good fortune yet to see rock quiz is on the set uh brian brings in a bunch of his albums to Correct. decorate the back shelf Correct. now did you or did you not on one occasion have a copy of satan is real by the leuven brothers absolutely i had a feeling because i well where we did had, i see that cover? well we had Henry Waggins, Melbourne uh, man about town, singer-songwriter, and Victoria Williams. Mm. Victoria Williams being the, I think, Californian, or I'm not sure where she's from originally, but uh, American artiste. Beautiful, a beautiful woman, i got to say. She was really, for those who are not familiar with Victoria Williams, she had a song that Pearl Jam covered. I'm looking at you as if to say, please tell me the name. No, Fred can't. Oh, damn it. It was Always a, points. It was, a um, it, was the, it was someone's name, and she performed it on our show, so that's terrible that I can't remember it. Victoria... But to be fair, you have had ten and a half seasons. Yeah, but still, she um, ha suffers from a little bit of uh, MS or yes, a sort of a so. neuron disease, and she was involved in a... There was a benefit put on for her called Sweet Relief. She's buddies with the REM guys. She was very, very closely related to the late Vic Chestnut, who she mm. toured Australia with. She lived with for many years, I think maybe was married to Mark Olson from the Jayhawks, and lives in the desert down in uh, sort of New Mexico. She she was great. And she was one of these, you know, occasionally we have artists, international artists, they don't know anything about us. Mm. 
Sometimes the record company thinks it would be a great idea. Somehow we get through to them, but we've had a you know we've had a few. We've had Sarah Lee Guthrie and Miko Case and Martha Wainwright, mm. and invariably we treat them very well. Um, we do a little bit of schmoozing, but you know the band is incredible. The band know their song, and they feel very comfortable. And Victoria Williams. She just wanted to chat. She came back to Chicholinas. We discussed books. We discussed movies. We discussed her life, her family, her love life. She was just incredible, and it was her choice to do the Christian life. Okay. And I was really, really excited because it was a, a song from this album.、Mm. Um, I had Satan is real. Yeah. Because of course. Those of you who、um, Google the album cover if you haven't seen it. Yeah, if you get set lists of bizarre album covers, it, <laughs> Satan is real will be one of them. Yes, it's the Lubin <laughs> brothers standing in front of a sort of bizarre cutout of the devil, and I think there's flames. Yes, and, but、um, yeah, the Lubin brothers are great. You know, they've they've given us、um, the cash on the barrel head, which Graham later did. Uh, Your learning,、mm. which Casey Chambers and Paul Kelly did an incredible version of, I think, off Paul's Foggy Highway, Highway yep, album. Yep. And、uh, well, I, I, sorry, just a little interruption there.、Yeah. When, when my、um, daughter was very, very young, I think she used to call it Froggy Highway. Oh, Froggy! Highway.、Uh, but I'm sure a lot of children would. Froggy went according.、Mm. Yes.、Um, But it's great, you know, and it's and again, it's sort of out of step with the、uh, outlaw country. Not that they were; they're probably slightly before outlaw country. But you know, the drug taking, hard living, wild side of life. You know, I I love the Christian life.、Mm. I won't lose a friend. So heeding God's call. So well, what is a friend who'd want me to fall? Exactly. This is this is why I see this song can work metaphorically, regardless of whether you're a theologist, an atheist,、mm. which Christian, Buddhist, Jewish,、yeah. whichever. It, it's not on, on the surface. I'm sure because you know, that's what the Leuven brothers meant it to be about the Christian life, and indeed. You know, because I believe this and you believe something else.、Yeah. What sort of a friend would you be to want me to fail? Yeah. But I think that sentiment can be, you know, regardless of whether you decide that you want to do any endeavour which may be、mm. seen as not part of the mainstream way of thinking. I've decided I'm going to go、uh, do hard mountain climbing, or I've decided I'm going to. Wrestle alligators, but yeah, you know,、right. if you're my friend, why would you want me to fail? Why would you tell me I was a nut? Why would、yeah. you tell me just come back into the coffee shop and have another cappuccino、yeah. when you know this is really what I want to do with my life? Please don't, you don't have to be on the team, but you just, just don't knock me back.、Yeah. And that's what I see that why this song works. And and sort of having done a little bit more looking up, I sort of thought, well, maybe that's what Graham admired in the song, and maybe he wasn't necessarily. Into the Christian life per se, but I believe he actually studied theology at university. Yeah, and you know he was a Southern boy.、Mm. You know he had the he had the Lord was a, a part of his、uh, background, I'm sure. But also he loved 
country music. He loved the Lubin Brothers. It's also got a great melody. Mm. You know, I won't lose a friend, but he... It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a beauty, I reckon. Um, look, one, one note that I've actually gone and made here, that I, I saw maybe a potential conflict in here. So, you know, they're singing, and the fair question, as we've already pointed out, what kind of friend would want you to fall? Um, but then, of course, the next line is... Uh, others find pleasures in things, things I despise. despise. So, you know what, <coughs> you know, what kind of friend would want me to fall? Well, you know, I want you to fail because yeah. what you do sucks. Yeah. So, so it's, uh, it's a, it's a massive contradiction. You sort of wonder whether the, um, yeah. the Lubin brothers saw the irony in that or. Well, the Lubin brothers, I think, was it Ira or, or Charles? One of them was shot six times mm. in one day by his third wife. Oh, good lord. Mm. Let that be a lesson. <laughs> Never. Well, yeah. and, and, and did his brother go and write a good country song about I'll that? My, my, my brother. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so the, uh, now here's the point. We're, we're speaking a little bit before about the songs that Graham did and the songs that um, McGuinn. McGuinn had to cover. Yeah. I was having a conversation with a uh, mutual friend of ours, mm. Pat, who works at Basement Discs yeah. here in Melbourne. And I mentioned to him that I was going to be doing this yep. show with you. And we, you know, we sort of got to talking about the album in general. And he mentioned it in, in, I don't think he mentioned specifically about this song, but he said that the songs that McGuinn had to redo, yeah. he feels were taken the piss. And certainly, I don't know about the others, but this one, I definitely feel McGuinn feels uncomfortable and he's singing it like, Almost like a yokel, you know. He's he's putting on that southern accent where he doesn't do it on any other. Like when he's singing "Pretty Boy Floyd," the the yeah. the, the Guthrie song, he's, he's not doing it there. He's not doing it in on his beloved Dylan songs, but on this one because it's subject matter which wasn't necessarily something he you know, followed yeah, or agreed well, with. But he, he felt the need to almost take the piss. Take out. the piss, and maybe he felt that. Birds fans, or you know, he knew the album would be reviewed in Rolling Stone, or he knew that there would be a sort of a hipster crowd who might be listening to it and who might be reviewing it and discussing it, and he didn't want to be. I mean, in a way, the what the song is saying is be true to your own beliefs. Mm. And maybe McGuinn wasn't. Yeah, I don't know. As I say, it's, I, I, and maybe it's because I haven't studied the record as closely as perhaps I should have. But I never was really that fussed about. I haven't got. I didn't go back and go right. Okay, uh, McGuinn's vocal ruined that. Or and I know there's people out there who, you know, oh man, when you hear the original. Parsons, but I've always loved McGuinn's voice. Mm. So, oh no, look, not knocking yeah. his voice. And really, he but, is but the voice of the birds. That, but I think yeah. in this song, it's it's almost like uh, Graham has gone and said, "You've got to have this on the album. You will have yeah. this on the album." The yeah. force uh, has power yeah. over the weak-minded. Yeah. Oh God, I've got to do it. But okay, well, I'll I'll have yeah. some credibility by by doing it in a mocking fashion, which is. I, well, I might be wrong about that, and, and there'd certainly be an irony because, um, according to the history, 
the, the Nashville scene were very suspicious of these rock musicians yeah. coming into their hometown and doing country music and no one thought... Apparently, like, all the session musicians came away saying, these guys are true to country music. Mm. They, they genuinely love it. Take our yeah. word for it. But, you know, the rock critics took them yeah. to pieces and yeah. the, the local country establishment yeah. took them to well, they pieces. they got kicked off the Grand Old Opry mm. because Graham went ahead and did Hickory Wind yep. instead of going to do uh, a, a particular song yep. and he decided his grandma was in the audience or something and he decided to do Hickory Wind and they were all, everyone mm. was freaking out. Actually, just while I'm thinking about this, we were talking a little bit before as well about other acts who were influenced and took things in a rock mm. direction. But I'd say as a result of this album, it influenced a rock artist, another rock artist, to go pure country, and mm. that's Elvis Costello yeah. with his album Blue. Um, look, out of those early almost country blue. albums... Oh, sorry, excuse me, Almost Blue. Um, so that's Johnny Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, almost blue. I'm. I pro that's an album which I've never gotten into. Although I love. I, in fact, I think King of America, yeah. along with Blood yeah. and Chocolate, are my two favourite yeah. Elvis Costello King of, albums. King of America is my favourite, and I just find it. I can hear the influence. Not so much like what we we're saying before about country rock being an offshoot from this album but more the fact that it convinced other rock artists to take a chance mm. and do some level of country. And having read, like, a few years ago uh, an Elvis Costello biography, um, it seemed probably the birds had laid the ground several yeah. years later yeah. where a pop artist would come into the heart of country territory yeah. and not be kicked out. Uh, and told you know go back yeah. go back to your rock and roll yeah. Um, yeah. because yeah. He, I think he, he was embraced because everyone knew that Elvis was something of a rock historian or music yeah. historian in general so he could convince them that mm. you know he, he loved his George Jones yeah. as much as you know he yeah. loved the Clash the Clash yeah. exactly absolutely so uh, and so yeah the birds and I, I think. Um, a song like this, in particular, you know, the Christian life, or anything else yeah. in that more real down home country vein, uh, would have laid the groundwork yeah. for that for sure. Uh, okay, look, we'll talk one more song, and um, this song, I guess, uh, Graham. I, I'm, I'm supposing Graham was responsible for this. Uh, he, they do a great cover of um, of a soul song. You don't miss your water. And as later on, when he started up or joined the, um, the Flying Burrito Brothers, he did Dark End of the Street mm. and Do Right Woman, Do yeah, Right Man. Yeah. Let's have a quick listen to a clip from You Don't Miss Your Water. Oh 
Bell, yes. I think. It was a stack. William Bell, yep. Country Soul. I think it's um, incredible. This was, for a while, this was my favourite song on the record. Mm. I don't know what it was. I think it was the sort of the country soul aspect. And I remember going on Hey Hey It's Saturday and singing. I think I had a poem that was about water. Mm. And I thought, oh, maybe I could do a little couplet <laughs> uh, from, um, you know, we miss your water till your well runs dry. Mm. And I was I was wrapped, you know, because I thought, yeah, birds fans would get it. <laughs> no one ever did. But, um, <laughs> but they weren't going to write to Hey Hey no, Saturday. No. It's great. It's an incredible song, and there's some really great versions. I think there's a great version by Taj Mahal mm. on the Natural Blues. Um, yeah, country soul. It's great. Well, I mean, this was actually not new territory because. Ray Charles and Robin Solomon Sands. Burke yeah. had gone yeah. down that country road before. Yeah. But here is something different because they were you know, these these soul legends who yeah. you know, decided no soul and country yeah. are not mutually exclusive. Yep. And I'm sure they had to wear the hard yards. Yeah. And here was just one song on this otherwise country album probably mm. sort of thought, oh, well, maybe this is... a little bit more what yeah. we're used to from, from the birds. So it probably wasn't so much of a hard no. deal. but. No, I, I remember when I first heard it, it didn't strike me as that out of character with the rest of the album. But, you know, listening to it now, you think, all right, it's got... But it's sort of, I think there's some pedal steel on it, there's mm. some great piano. But it still sounds like a soul song, really. Yeah. What's the lyric? Have you got the lyric there? No, um, uh, no you haven't got a written... Haven't gotten written any of the lyrics there. There was nothing I sort of thought to quite bad. I mean, in the beginning, you really love me. Oh, yeah. Something about life. In the beginning, you love me. But I was blind and I could not see. Then when you left me, Lord, how I cried. It's beautiful. Ten points to Mr. Nankovis! Oh, no, you can't get those points. No. Look, I'm a fan of a song with a really good metaphor. And I, I think the whole thing about water, you know, you don't miss your, you don't miss your water until yeah. the well runs dry. I, I think it's, it's not it's a, a rare, it's not a no, rare metaphor. It's, no, it's been commonly used. No, I'm sure. It's, but it's a, but it's a damn good one. Absolutely. And what's the other one? Pouring petrol on a, on a burning man. Well, that's not really water, is it? But it's a bit, a bit, a bit liquid. Liquid. You don't miss your water. Yeah, I bet there's another. Yeah. I'm thinking hunters and collectors. When the well, yeah, when, when the, the well river, when the river, dry. when the river runs dry. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Once we stop recording, we'll think about it another dozen. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah, I'm <laughs> starting to fade. How oh, are you I'm, going? You're indefatigable. No, no. I've, I've I've been looking forward to this, Brian. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm look. I'm, you know, I think we've probably pretty much uh, exhausted all. Well, what about that we want to we've talk got to about mention the album. Pretty Boy Floyd. Okay, well, let's let's do that. Which is the final track on side one, okay. if you used to listen to it on vinyl. Pretty Boy Floyd, Woody Guthrie would have turned 100 a couple of weeks ago. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah, there's been a bit of uh, Guthrie uh, talk around our place lately, but um, a great one, I reckon. In fact, I reckon... 
it was probably, apart from this land is your land, I reckon Pretty Boy Floyd was sort of my introduction to Woody Guthrie. And I know I knew Dylan was a Guthrie nut. And, you know, there's all those great stories about how he, he sort of made the pilgrimage to to Brooklyn or to Coney Island or wherever it was. And then he went and visited Woody Guthrie in hospital. In mm. fact, if you can get hold of, about a year after Woody died, they did a concert at Carnegie Hall saluting Woody Guthrie. Mm. And then about a year later, they did another one at the Greek Theatre in LA and they put them out as one album well maybe it was a double album but there's an incredible selection of people there's judy collins doing deportee there's mm. odetta on it there's tom paxton doing incredible version of pastors of plenty and there's dylan and the band so it was in that, it was sort of 68. I think one concert was 68 in Carnegie Hall yes. and one was 1970. And Dylan and the band do Do Re Me, Dear Mrs. Roosevelt and the Grand Cooley Dam. Uh, uh, and this world was lucky to see him born, Dear Mrs. Roosevelt. Mm. And um, that's when I really got this sense of Woody Guthrie, and there's some great spoken word. This has got nothing to do with the sweetheart of the radio. No, no. There's some great spoken word bits narration by, I think, Peter Fonda mm -hmm. and a guy called Will Gear, who I, I don't know much about, but um, it's an incredible album, really incredible. And so, yeah, and then Pretty Boy Floyd just seems so accessible and I love the banjo I think in fact did I read today that McGuinn was originally playing the banjo and just couldn't sort of get it so they got a, a session player in mm. and I love the lyrics you know some will rob you with a six gun and some with a fountain pen yes pretty boy Floyd the outlaw it's like this Robin Hood you yeah, know, he'd, yeah. He'd, he'd never leave a, a family starving yeah that, that, that's right that last verse where he's saying well yeah, there was, they, they say he was an outlaw but he never left uh, yeah. the family starving yeah yeah no i loved it and there's a dylan dylan does pretty boy floyd mm. on um i think a tribute to woody guthrie i mean it's been a man there's been mm. an incredible amount of tributes the the wood the um wilco Billy Bragg. I'm just going to release like a they third volume. Third of, volume. Of Which is odd because I thought didn't think the second volume was much chop, but. Oh, no, I, I disagree. I, I loved it. I, really? I thought, in fact, actually, I thought like uh, in, uh, songs like. Um, Airplane to Heaven. Airplane, uh, Airline to Heaven. Um, was it Secrets of the Sea, I think was my favourite track from oh. both the albums. Absolutely loved it. Who can. Who can guess the secrets of the sea? Okay. Who can guess the secrets? Yeah, secret? I don't know why. I just never. In fact, we had James Rain and Amaya Lawsarika. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She's a young Melbourne gal, mm. uh, and they duetted on Rockwiz a couple of weeks ago with California Stars. Oh, nice! Beautiful song. Very nice. So yeah, Woody's uh, Woody's incredible. In fact. Just blowing my own horn. Go for it. One more time. It was a real thrill to have Sarah Lee Guthrie 
mm. on Rockwiz and to think that she was Woody's granddaughter and Arlo Guthrie's daughter. Mm. And I, I, I made her, I said, look, we'll send you a copy of the show. I want you to promise me you'll show it to your dad. Oh. And I, you know, I think we even slipped a question about <laughs> the, uh, the, the, what was his, not, uh, not, Alice's restaurant, the other one about the city of New Orleans. Uh, yeah, that is called um, the writing. The, the, no, the city of New uh, about a, the train. It's a, uh, written by another guy. No, no it's too late, Morris. Yeah. I, I'd go to the shelf and pick it up, but, but yeah, you know, but you you might say, right, time for me to go, and I can't have that <laughs> just yet. Just, I was going to make one more Woody Guthrie yeah uh, cover note. Um, years and years ago, I got hold of a Bruce Springsteen. Bootleg. Sorry, sorry. Um, record of indeterminate origin, and <laughs> um, it was recorded on one of his solo guitar tours. A rather light-hearted moment where the song he decides he's going to cover is the car song "Take You for a Ride in My Car." Ah. But uh, it was just not so much about the song, the performance itself, which was fine. Yeah. But the statement that Bruce made either before or after the song. Where he said, um, uh, okay, so, uh, that was the car song and, uh, no offense, Mr. Guthrie, but cars are what I write about. Ah, <laughs> you know, you, you, you stick to writing great songs about the country, but, you know, cars That's are right. my thing, you know, it's That's just right. very funny. That's he, right. And he, he's a, he can be a funny yeah. guy. Yeah, funny. yeah. All right. Well, like, I think we've exhausted. All our um, uh, sweat out of the radio and peripheral discussion enough. So Eric Reanimator talking about Waylon Jennings' album Honky Tonk Heroes. And once uh, he's finished, then we'll come back and uh, sign off. You're listening to Love That Album with Morris and Brian. We'll be back. Take it away, Eric, the orchestra leader. I want two. I want two, three, four. Now it's time for an album I love with Eric Reanimator. Low down, leaving some done did everything that needs done. Go with me. Why can't I see I'd best be leaving well enough alone Them neon lighting nights Couldn't stay out of bounds Keep a haunting me in memories Well, there's one in every crowd For crying out loud Why was it always turning out to be me? Where does it go? The good Lord only knows Seems like it was just the other day I was down at Green Gables Hawking them tables And generally below in all my hard-earned pay Piano rolled blues Danced holes in my shoes There weren't another other way to be For lovable losers no account boozers and honky tonk heroes like me. Hey, hey. 
Eric Randemeter here with another album that I love. This time around, Waylon Jennings' 1973 Outlaw Country Masterpiece, Honky Tonk Heroes. A little background on Waylon. He started performing at an early age and worked as a radio DJ. Somewhere along the way, he became friends with Buddy Holly, who hired him to play bass on his last tour. Waylon Jennings is the man who cheated death. On the day the music died, he gave up his seat on that plane to the big bopper, and he was racked by guilt for having survived. He made his way to Nashville, did the standard country thing of the day, was Johnny Cash's roommate, had a few minor hits, starred in a movie, and somewhere along the way, it just wasn't enough. Along with Willie Nelson, he's credited as being the linchpin of the outlaw country movement, and Honky Tonk Heroes was maybe the first Outlaw Country album. Let's listen to a sample of the album and come back and chat some more. Cadillac buyers and old five and dimers like me Keeps yelling, hey gypsy, let's go Tonk Heroes so special is that with the exception of the song We Had It All, all of the other songs were written by songwriter and singer Billy Joe Shaver. Whelan had been able to take creative control of his career and was able to not only record Shaver's songs but use his road band, The Whalers, in the studio. This was kind of a breakthrough in Nashville as prior to this, producers picked the songs that would be recorded and they also picked the studio musicians who would record them in the studio. The kind of creative control that Whelan was able to get also helped pave the way for other country musicians and probably for artists throughout the musical spectrum. I came to the album because of a cover of the song Black Rose by a California band called Hammerlock. I had known of Whalen, never really been a big fan, and decided it was time to check out his work. What I found was a rock and roll artist who had gone country, and a country artist who still remembered his rock and roll roots. Honky Tonk Heroes was the start of a run of great albums and great songs. It's well worth seeking out and exploring as is the autobiography uh, Whelan wrote with Patti Smith guitarist and Nuggets compiler Lenny Kay. My favorite song off Honky Tonk Heroes is what I consider to be one of the great homecoming ballads of all time. It's called Omaha, and we're going to go out with a little bit from it. It's been Eric Reanimator, and I'll catch you all on the flip side. Omaha, wasn't good enough for me. Pocket 
Thanks once again to Eric Reanimator for another great segment, him talking about Waylon Jennings' honky-tonk heroes. And, I mean, look, I know, I don't know really that much about Waylon Jennings, but I found it really interesting, the connection there, that he was another rock and roll guy who um, went country. Uh, and he, did you know that fact about him being, you know, missing out on being on the yeah. Buddy Holly plane? Yeah, chose yeah. to drive instead, or, yes, or, or, or gave up his seat. Or yes, something. gave up his seat, and then you know felt guilty for not being on the plane. Yeah. And he said, "Oh, it should have been me. It should have been me." Yeah. But, but that's yes, a fantastic story. Thanks for enlightening us, Eric. Uh, and Eric will be back in another couple of weeks with another an album I love segment. Well, we've just about run out of time, but I asked you the question in the first segment, first part of the show, and we I, we must have got sidetracked. We were going to talk about albums that we've been listening to lately, and somehow we didn't get around to talk about them. So let's have a quick chat about albums we've been listening to of late, other than Sweetheart of the other Radio. Other than Sweetheart. Uh, I tell you, my favourite album at the moment is the Jack White solo album, mm -hmm. Blunderbuss. I don't own any... Jack White, I don't own any White Stripes. I think I've got a uh, doorbell, thinking about my doorbell, when you're going to ring it, mm. somewhere. But I really love this album. It's called Blunderbuss. It's uh, Jack White's, it's his first ever solo album. Uh, he's currently in Australia, or he might even be leaving by now, but I know he came down here, he brought two bands with him. The raconteurs? No, it? no, no. Okay. An all-female band and an all-male band. Oh. And just before showtime, he would inform the band who he was going to take on stage that night. Oh, you're joking. No. Sounds like he runs a harem or something. Well, I think he does it to keep it all fresh. And uh, <laughs> apparently all the roadies wear uh, suits with uh, bowler hats. And apparently the shows were incredible. But it's a really great album. I think that's wonderful. Eccentricity yeah. hasn't died out of rock and roll oh, no, yet. No, he's a beauty. And there's an <laughs> incredible song called I'm Shaken, which uh, I really love. And there's a couple of songs where it sounds like he's channeling Ronnie Lane, of all people. Really? Okay. The ex-bass uh, player with uh, the faces and the small faces. I'm loving the David Bromberg album. He was in Australia for the Blues Fest. I've always loved Dave Bromberg. He had a great album called The Demon in Disguise that I first heard on Chris Winter's show, mm. Room to Move. Um, but this is really great. Use Me, and it features Levon Helm, mm -hmm. the late, great, John Hyatt. Did you um, see John Hyatt this year? 
No, but I'm told it was incredible. Mm. The last album that he put out was um, was pretty magnificent. I have to tell you off air. We actually have a have a hex on this show about John Hyatt. He's, John Hyatt's name on this show is like saying Macbeth to thespians. Oh, but I'll tell you off air okay. about that. All right. Mm. Um, but we've hopefully broken the hex, haven't we, listeners? Yes, mm. Keb Mo and your boys uh, lost Lobos. Oh uh, wow, wow! I'm gonna have to hear that. Yeah, uh, I really love the Neil Young album, mm. Americana. Okay, because I've I've not been game to go out and listen to that. Is it's is it really wonderful? Right, it rocks. Yep, it's crazy horse. It's dirty. It's weird. Yes, because they're doing. You know, she'll be coming around the mountain and Tom Dooley and. Oh, my darling, Clementine. I could do without the final song, which is God Save the Queen. But it's really great. High Flying Bird is fantastic. There's even a bit of doo-wop. Get a job. Oh, wow. Get a job. So that's good. Uh, what else? There's a new Even album I in another mentioned time. That, mentioned that on the last episode. Yep, that was that's an album I'm digging One at the, the moment. Australian bands. This is fantastic. It's a tribute to Guy Clark called This One's For Him. Double CD featuring, how's this for a lineup? Rodney Crowell, Roseanne Cash, Lyle Lovett, John Prime, Willie Nelson, Ron Sexsmith, Emmylou Harris, Chris Christopherson. Man, it's incredible. Not Jerry a shabby Jeff lineup Walker. at all. No, no. So they're mine. What about you? What are you listening to? Right, well, um, I want to put out a big thank you to uh, Justin Bozon, who um, has previously uh, been a guest on Love That Album a couple of times, and he sent me a copy of an album from a group called The Wonderments, who happened to be the um, part of the overall backup band for Brian Wilson. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering how many of those musicians have sort of made it into the... Uh, the core of uh, the reformed Beach Boys, as yeah. it were. But what is uh, Darren Rahanaja? Or oh, I'm I'm going to burn in hell for not getting the name right. But um, uh, the guy who looks like Kramer, um, he absolutely. No uh, he's he's a, a a pop wunderkind. This right. guy, he sounds like he's been listening to the Beach Boys and Big Star all his life, mm-hmm. and on um, this. This album called Mind If We Make Love To You, and that's what the music does. This music, it actually doesn't so much sound like the Beach Boys as it evokes... Well, so it, it certainly may be uh, um, Sunflower Era Beach Boys, Dennis Wilson's yeah. solo album... Yeah, um, Pacific, it, Blue. P- Pacific Ocean Blue. It, it yeah. really evokes more the spirit of that, not so much early cars and girls type because right. there's some some uh, incredible incredibly beautiful uh, chord progressions um the the sort of thing that they were doing through those periods of the beach boys and the, and the harmonies it's just i'm i'm addicted to this album absolutely wonderful so um if you only know the wonderments through uh, them being Brian Wilson's backup band, I urge you to go seek out some of their other material. Of course, a lot of you probably out there probably think, well, we've been into it for years. You just, you're the new one, and oh, yeah. well, shame on me, but better late than never. And once again, my uh, my thanks to uh, Justin for sending me a copy of that. Mind if we make love to you as the name of the album. 
another album that I've cottoned onto rather late, but um, better late than never, is uh, another well, yeah, a country singer, but the album is not so much of a country album. It's got oh, some country stuff on it, but there's there's some rock or pop stylings on it. I'm talking about Iris Dement uh, and an album yeah. called The Way I Should. Now, I can't remember if I mentioned this on a previous show, but I've been listening to this for a few weeks. I uh, only just uh, got it in the last couple of months. And I first heard Iris Dement, as I imagine a lot of people did, uh, when she sang the final song at the end of the final episode of the great TV show Northern Exposure. That's Were you a fan right. of that? Yeah. song called Our Town, which yep. in context of the episode, it just sent me to a dribbling mess. It was yeah. my favourite show of the time and I still value it. I've started showing it to my kids yeah. who have taken it on board and absolutely love it. Uh, so we've got you know six wonderful seasons to go through until we get to that final right. uh, bittersweet moment, knowing that it's all finishing. But yeah, Iris Dement singing a gorgeous song, Our Town. Uh, and But this album, The Way I Should, is, I guess, something of a partly political oh, album. Oh, yeah, what's the first track? The one, The Land of the Free. Land of the Free. Oh, th- there's... Oh, hang on, I'm going to have to get that out now. Oh, gosh. As I, I, my, my excuse is... Uh, my, I'm uh, only recent to it. Uh, Just for the listeners, Morris is standing at his uh, bookcase. When my morning comes around, but I think the song maybe that you're referring, Wasteland of Wasteland the Free. Wasteland of the Free yeah. is an incredible song. Yeah, I got this. So an absolutely gorgeous album. I, I'm pretty sure that um, this was... Uh, Plugged quite heavily on Triple R when yep. it first came out, but uh, I love I'm, I'm very slow. Yep. But be- better late than never. All right. There and is. the final album I've probably been listening to a little bit of late, um, I-, I guess in anticipation of the filmed documentary of him, uh, I'm talking about, uh, well, we'll call him Melbourne Zone, but he's really Adelaide's, but you know, we'll claim him as our own. Paul Kelly. Uh, and this is an album fairly early on in his career. I think the last album that he recorded with his band, uh, The Messengers, and the, the Coloured Girls, uh, called Comedy. And I'd say out of those early albums that he did with that particular group, this one is my favourite. Really? It's, it's, um, uh, I, I know probably a lot of, a lot of people will cite gossip as their favourite, but for me, uh, comedy has, Great stories to tell. I mean, I guess the big one is from Little Things, Big Things Grow. But even notwithstanding that, you know, songs like I Can't Believe We Were Married. Yeah, is Winter Coat. Is Winter that Coat, that's on that. Cities of Texas. Uh, no, that's on So Much Water, So Close to Home. Okay. Uh, but this... Um, uh, Gathering Storm. No, 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 that's that's not on that oh, one, okay, I don't think. Right. Um, the, but, uh, the, the other one I really like is um, uh, Your Little... Your little sister's uh, big girl girl now. And the the strange, or maybe not strange thing, but I don't think anyone writes about sex as well as Paul Kelly does. Mm. And I think he once said in an interview, so all my songs come under these titles. I write about sex, death, and cricket. And that's pretty much... God. Oh, God, yeah. Okay, he writes about God. And that's quite unusual for someone who, I think he's, he's an atheist. And I, okay, he wrote because God told me to, and that's a that's a sting to yeah. uh, to people who pursue religion 
so far without questioning it. But he's also gone and written some deeply spiritual yeah. songs. So, you know, really unusual for someone who, I don't know, maybe he's an agnostic or something like that, but, but, um, he just writes so beautifully. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think the best songs on this are about sex. Mm. Um, and what about the one, Blush, is it? A girl, girl from Perth? Ah, oh, that, that's so, that um, Deeper Water. Deeper Water. No, deeper. Oh, yeah, Deeper Water. And deep, uh, Deeper Water has, has one of the greatest lines about, you know, um, he, he's, he's singing that line of, he's, as a, an 18 year old, he's in the back of a car with the girl with his hand, her hand down his jeans and he yeah. thinks, I'm a man, I'm a man. And yeah. No one writes it, cause I mean, look, rock and roll, as I spoke about a long time ago in talking about Get the Knack, great rock and roll is about sex, but, Paul Kelly's writing about sex is not Doug Figer's writing about sex. They're both fantastic, yeah. but but it's it's very very different. And it, you listen to you listen to um, uh, Paul Kelly's songs, and you can think, "Oh right, yeah, I remember that. I can yeah. identify with that yeah. that sort of thing." And just um, a great songwriter in general, but the greatest songwriter yeah. about sex, I think. So, but yeah, comedy. That's and he's got a, he's the docker coming up, but he's also going to be releasing a new album in okay. October. Wow, that's soon. Spring and Fall. Okay, looking for in, in the lineup. So I believe Dan the Kelly is Dan Kelly, but um, also some double bass from uh, Steve Hadley. No, no, what's his name? The guy who does <coughs> machine translations, Jay, Jay, the guy who produced it. But I know. Pete Luscombe went in and put some drums in last week. So okay. Very exciting. Lucky. Yeah. All right. All well, right. I think that pretty much covers all that we want to say. I just, as I like to do, give a quick shout out to um, uh, the other great podcasters out there who have supported my show and uh, who I love to listen to. Uh, so a big shout out to uh, Paleo Cinema and Martian Drive-In Podcast hosted by Terry Frost. I'm very excited. I'm going to be talking with uh, Terry on Paleo Cinema in a couple of weeks. So I've got a couple of films to watch and uh, analyse and have a bit of a chat with him about. Uh, Silver and Gold, hosted by Dr. Zom and Piccoloaf, The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, of course. Uh, the List Film Podcast and The List Music Podcast. And I'm going to be having VK Lin from The List Music Podcast joining me in a few weeks for Love That Album. And uh, VK has gone and threat to hit me over the head with a blunt instrument if I dare mention the doors. So won't be doing that, VK. I value my head. Uh, Better in the Dark with uh, Thomas and Derek. Uh, what else? What else? Um, sitting in the Bar in Adelaide with uh, Michael Persh, my uh, regular co-host. He'll be joining me in a couple of weeks. Uh, I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, I'm sure I've missed out some other stuff. Um, uh, the Inside Outcast. The Twilight Zone podcast. There's just so much great stuff out there. Um, if I've forgotten you, please send me an email and, and tell me to get a dog up and um, I'll fix it up next time. But um, the next uh, episode of Love That Album, I'll be joined by Michael Persh from Sitting in a Bar in Adelaide. And we're going to be talking about an album that is a huge part of my life and it's quite appropriate. It is... As I'm recording this, we're approaching August 2012, which means it is 20 years from the release of Los Lobos' seminal album, Kiko. And uh, Michael will be joining me to talk about this great album. Uh, so very excited about that in general. But also we'll be joined on the show 
by Steve Berlin, the saxophone player of Los Lobos. He, I'm very excited that he uh, managed to find the time to uh, speak to me over Skype. Those of you who listen to my show regularly know that I think that Skype is one of the greatest inventions ever. And so we we're able to uh, have a bit of a chat about his recollections of recording that fantastic album, which has been suggested is Los Lobos's Sergeant Pepper. So see what you think. Um, that show will be out in a couple of weeks from now. Uh, so thank you for all of you out there listening, downloading and supporting the program. My big thank you as well to my guest of this uh, lengthy show of uh, Love That Album, Brian Nankervis. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been really absolutely wonderful having you here. A pleasure, Morris. Delighted yeah. to be here. Hopefully it won't be the last one. No, no. Excellent. We'll have to find a, another 10 or so albums that we want to Let's do talk Dylan. About. Come on. New Morning. I think that was the problem. When you said, it's all come back to me now. I said said, New Morning or Planet Waves. Well, I would have done Planet Waves. Oh, I will do Planet Waves. One of the great unheralded, um, what's the word, unappreciated. All right, Planet Waves it is. Yeah, great. All right, okay, so that's when you'll hear Brian next on the show. Um, and for those of you in Australia, you don't need me to remind you to be watching SBS on a Saturday night to see Rock Quiz. But if you're overseas and you want to get a taste of what this wonderful show is actually all about, go to this website, www.sbs.com.au forward slash Rock Quiz. And I think mm. you have well, like yeah. two episodes, yeah. two most recent episodes at a time. Yeah. In fact, there's a beauty coming up. I think next week is Elon Jewell. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, we should talk about one of her albums, yeah. I think, down the track. She does, Love um, Elon Jewell. She does Queen of the Minor Key. Yep. And she duets with a young lad from a band called Blue Juice on... Um, uh, handle me with care. Oh, I'm travelling Wilbur. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah, that's good. Now we've had a few good internationals. We had um, Judy Collins, mm. Mary Wilson. Yep. We had a Supreme in the house oh my God. with Joe Camilleri, and a man, a, a, a trumpet player called Gil Askey, mm. who was an MD for Motown, uh, was the musical director for the Jackson Five. Marvin Gaye travelled the world with the Supremes and has, for the last 20 years, lived in Frankston. Really? So we got Gil on the show, <laughs> 87 years old. Yeah. So, so he was a funk brother? Oh, yeah, soul funk yeah, was there Was there someone in the Funk Brothers who passed away in the last week or two? I'm pretty sure I read. Mm, maybe. I'm not, I'm not a man. I might have to look that up. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, um, what else was there? Oh, one other episode that had a good consequence for me. Yeah. I remember seeing um, Glenn Tilbrook. And, oh, yeah. And Little those of you who've listened to the to the show know I'm a huge squeeze nut. And as a result, I remember him saying he loved the Rockwiz Orchestra yeah. so much, he came back and did a show at the Esplanade Hotel with them. And I went to that. Oh. Because, like, face it, the reformed squeeze are not, well, it's not really reformed. It's, you know, Chris Difford and yeah. Glenn Tilbrook with, with friends. But, you know, this was going to be the closest thing I figured I was ever going to get to yeah. hear those great songs. And I'd seen him twice before with him and a guitar, and he was absolutely wonderful. But the chance to hear him play with a band, and such a great band, yeah. was something I couldn't pass up. 
and you know, Lucky and and James Black and Mark, Mark Ferry just yeah. did so much justice to those great, great songs. Uh, I think Julia introduced the show yes, on the she night. Was very excited, yeah, yeah. So um, some wonderful, wonderful stuff out there. So yes, if you go to that website I just mentioned, I'll mention it one more time sbs.com.au forward slash rock quiz and you can catch the most recent two episodes or so yeah. and find out what it is that I've been raving on about what Brian's been talking about tonight about this great program and you know hassle your local networks hassle your local rock nerds and see if you can get this show licensed has anyone from overseas no, approached you? No we got, we've been close a couple of times but I reckon, you know, I think England, surely. Mm. Imagine the pool of talent to draw from. Absolutely. Imagine the nutters <laughs> who could get up and be on the panel. Oh, they'd love it. Yeah. They'd love it. All right. Anyway, um, we've rambled on enough. It's now oh, 11.32 on a, on a school night. So um, we'll say farewell and uh, we'll catch you in another couple of weeks talking about Los Lobos. Until then, thanks very much once again, Brian. Pleasure, Morris. We'll Good night. We'll see you soon. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.